Uh, we're coming close to peaking all the time. I really need to pee. Yeah. Well, I really need to pee. Du, du, du. I really need to pee. Afterwards, I'm gonna wash my hands. Nah, I lost it. Welcome once again aboard Beef Station. Join us for another week as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. Andrew. How you doing, boy? I am tired. I'm tired. I'm oh, a me tired too. Boy. I'm a maybe, tired boy. maybe we're not ready to kick it off. Maybe for we aren't. Week. No. <laughs> I got my, I got my chamomile tea. I got some kombucha. I got some water. I'm hydrated three ways. <laughs> but six drinks yeah, sitting here. Yeah. Um, this is a chill stream. <laughs> I'm chill, the only total narc that's not uh, not drinking some normie right. fucking non-alcoholic beer. Oscar's three gluten-free beers in and uh, rearing to go. <laughs> <laughs> Better pace myself on this one because the next one's a gluten beer and I'm going to get... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to really, really fuck you up. <laughs> um, this week we are doing Toy Story 4. Correct. For the film we're going to review. So stay tuned for our spoiler-free review of Toy Story 4. We'll try and give you our thoughts first, and then we'll spoil some stuff later. We'll give you ample warning, though. Mm. So no worries about tuning out before you find out what happens to Woody and the gang. Don't fucking touch that <laughs> dial. But enough about my sex life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I reckon that's that's a low tier of um, genital nickname. Dial. <laughs> it's not a good one. Maybe back in the fifties. No, that's a low tier. That's that dial, baby. <laughs> Don't touch that dial. <laughs> Actually, do. Adjust my dial all you want, toots. <laughs> We're not gonna get anywhere if you don't touch that dial, baby. <laughs> Damn. Can you use a cold open that's also a bit in the There episode? is something wrong with your television set. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so, uh, yeah, stay tuned for Toy Story 4, but mm. first of all, we've of course got to kick it off with a bit of news. Yep. How are you feeling, boy? Uh, feeling raring and uh, ready to go? Vulnerable <laughs> and uh, and sad. Well, speaking of emotion. Let's make that noise. Beef bulletin. Just scroll through my eight tabs of Bob Dylan news. I'll you, close all of those. I feel like we build up so much momentum every week. <laughs> I, I force myself, and then you're just like, all right, fucking hold on a second. I think I'm it's fun. Gonna, oh, I'm just gonna <laughs> out. I think it's funny that way to bring it like screeching to a halt. Um, <laughs> That's what the end of the noise is. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Hang on. <laughs> no, no, ah, get out of my way. John Lennon news, <laughs> Paul McCartney news, Bob Dylan news. Hell yeah. All right. Um, we get the movie news right. yet? Um, uh, so there's a Kingsman sequel coming out. Okay. I really like the first one. I haven't bothered to watch the next one. I but also haven't. I'm exactly the same. Uh, I don't know. I'm fond enough of the first one that I'm happy that they're making another sequel. Yeah. It's going to be a prequel um, to sort of set up the whole world, I suppose. So I suppose maybe it might be sort of a 50s or a 60s era kind of film. Ah, uh, so not involving Taron Edgerton. Doesn't look like it, no. Mm-hmm. Um, well, maybe he'll be in Flash Forward, who knows. It's going to be called The King's Man. Oh, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do nice. remember seeing that um, still. Uh, casting is going to have Aaron Taylor-Johnson, uh, Ray Fiennes, Oh, Charles Aaron Taylor-Johnson's great. So he's great. He, he was he's from Kick-Ass. Kick-Ass, yeah. yeah. Um, Charles Dance, who of course is uh, Papa... 
fucking Papa Lannister in Game of Thrones. Yes. Um, Matthew Tyrion. Good, Jaron no, Arterton. There's a dude whose name is Digimon, <laughs> which, regardless of what country you come from, is a very funny name. It's so like Jumon and So. I stand by it. Funny name. Like Daniel Bruhl, the only German actor. If you think of a German actor in any film yep. that's an English film yep. with a German dude in it, it's that guy. What about the guy um, from Inglorious Bastards? Klaus. So. I think I think I think uh, Daniel Bruhl is literally in. Um, Inglorious Bastards. Inglorious Bastards. He's yeah, not. He's not the guy with the fucking kid in the bar. But he's. he's what about um, the guy that eats the strudel really like noisily? That's um. That's a bingo. That's a bingo. No, I've no idea. Christoph Waltz. Yeah, Christoph Waltz. Well, he's. Th- there's okay, two fine. German actors. Right. Christoph Waltz is one of them. He's one of them. That guy with the kids, another one. But Daniel Bruhl, you'd know him if you saw him. Yeah. Um, Stanley Tucci and Tom Hollander. It's a 1900s setting. It says here. Um, I'm excited for that. I thought I heard that the sequel wasn't as good as the first one, but it seems exciting that they've always sort of gone with a different setting for every single film so far. Because mm-hmm. the second one was like an American one, the first one obviously was the first one, and the third one now is going to be the sort of a 1900s period piece. So I'm excited that they're sort of doing different stuff with it every time. Sure. I'm looking forward to that coming out. Um, that Beatles themed film directed by Danny Boyle of. Uh, Slumdog Millionaire theme and written by the bloke who wrote Love Actually is coming out very soon. It's probably going to be out by the time this it's called episode comes yesterday. out. It's called Yesterday. Um, soundtrack's just been released with the main bloke, uh, Himesh is the name of the actor, who has recorded all of the songs. Of course, the film uh, is in a world where he sort of has a head, he, he crashes his bicycle or something and he wakes up in a parallel universe where the Beatles never existed. And he, as a struggling musician, then proceeds to rip off and pretend he wrote all the Beatles songs he can possibly remember. Yeah, right. Um, so it's a cool idea so for a movie. It's be an interesting one, yeah. I'm really excited for it to come out. Um, he's sort of been doing the promo circuit, uh, going on uh, late night and all that sort of stuff, playing the songs. Seems to be very good. It's always exciting when the actor actually plays the song, uh, sings the songs. Mm. Going to... Um, was it, I think it was yeah, a lot more interesting the way they did it in Rocket Man. Yeah, I think it gives you a reason to go and see it. Yeah, one of yeah. the most famous films where that happens in terms of like music films is a bit of an old film now The Commitments was really good that was all about a soul band from uh, from Dublin that was like a fictional band but they got together a group of Irish actors and musicians to play the musicians in the film that recorded all the soul music themselves right. The Commitments is a really good music film yeah, and so okay. all of the people do all the singing and all the drumming and all the saxophone playing and all the guitar playing and everything themselves in the film it's really cool hmm. um Danny Boyle confirms third 28 Days Later movie is in the works. Uh, yeah, have you seen these movies? I've never seen them. I know you, you've told me several times they're very good. Yeah, um, particularly 28 Days Later. That was one of those films where I think it had a budget of like 10,000 pounds or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right. It was constrained so strongly by its budget. Well, you were talking before about the fact that you're trying to get into um, some local film stuff mm. and you said you've noticed a lot of people do zombie movies and so I, I assume maybe yeah, it's Yeah, I kind of was, was shitting on it a little bit because it feels like the idea that as soon as anyone gets any kind of crew budget together yeah. they, they're just like oh, let's do a zombie movie but when you think about what like the the opportunities that that affords All you need is some extras some makeup and you have a monster right, movie exactly. and that's an interesting and high concept It's an action thing. piece so you get to play around with like lots of dialogue lots of different opportunities for editing there's lots of scope you can make different tones so it makes a lot of sense but yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah 28 Days Later is probably actually I think a lot of people maybe I'm wrong with this but that for me was a movie that kicked off the fast moving zombies Yeah right because that's that's um 
that's that's what this one does differently yeah. to most other zombie they movies. They sprint, and that's fucking terrifying. Because every yeah. other movie before that, they were it was the shuffling, evil dead kind of zombies, or um, yeah, yeah, right. Well, so Day of the Dead style zombies. Yeah, and right. This one was like, no, they're they're humans infected by a virus, and it makes them really, really, really angry. So I guess like, if people have seen I Am Legend, it's sort of the film that. I feel most strongly contributed to that. The Left 4 Dead video games were released reasonably shortly after this one, and I feel like they drew a lot of influence from that. Uh, well, from that, it's actually had a pretty strong cultural impact. I think definitely like it a completely different style. And of course, Danny Boyle, the Twenty Eight Days Later guy, he is the guy who's directing Yesterday. So he's yeah, got a right. huge okay. variety of stuff that he's yeah. been involved in. Um, if if you haven't seen Twenty Eight Days Later, you specifically, yeah. but also listeners. That's that one is worth going in on. Twenty eight weeks later is a bit more of an action movie with some interesting little kind of moments, I guess. So, what would you say about Twenty Eight Days Later that redeems it from like a the bog standard uh, action World War Z kind the, of Walking Dead kind of movie? The sense of the cold sense of fear and isolation that it builds, and the tension that accompanies that. So, you get a lot of like surveillance. Uh, like shots that that make it feel like rather than being with the character and accompanying him, you're surveilling him by watching through like British CCTV or, um, you know, during action shots, there's a lot of still shots of people like running. So um, there's a lot of interesting sort of cinema, cinematographic really stuff going cinematographic on. Stuff. Cillian Murphy oh, plays cool. the main character. He's great. Um, yeah, he looks fucked in everything he's in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's um, really gaunt. And well, it opens on a shot of his dick, which is another reason to go and see it. Hell yeah. Yeah. His dick and then maybe stay for the movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. this, uh, this, is, so this this sequel to the first two films has been in it's been sort of teased and they've been talking about it for ages now. Um, uh, like I think in 2015, this article here from uh, Anime is talking about how Danny Boyle's writing partner, who he wrote Train Spotting with... Oh, and, and th- sorry, just jumping back. Naomi Harris yeah. is also in it, and she's really, she's really fantastic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So she was, she's was she been in Moonlight, in Skyfall, <laughs> in a shitload of movies. This was the first thing I ever saw her in, and she does a really, really fantastic performance. Good luck getting her now, Boyle. Mm. Um, yeah, so the, the, his writing partner is apparently back to work on this sequel, and he talked about it back in 2015, about the sort of vague themes that sort of started to kick off the writing process. with. So it's been in okay. the works for ages now. Yeah, everyone um, talked about 28 Months. But I feel like that was kind of, you know, even saying it, it's like, yeah. fucking, really? really? Yeah. Okay. Um, so all that interview back then, he sort of said, oh, well, if it's, if it's, <laughs> if you had to go from 28 months to 28 years, it's probably closer to 28 months, but we're only sort of working it out. And I think they haven't probably sort of committed to anything since then. Right. Um, I, I reckon if they I reckon it'll be really strong if they draw out what was so good about the first film and really focus on that. I think that was a really interesting story. So, yeah. oh, and there's this incredible fucking scene, like two thirds of the way through it, where it takes place entirely within this like really huge mansion, and uh, the zombies are they've breached. Uh, this is a bit of spoilers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it, there's there's a scene don't, involving. Don't spoil it then. If you think a it's scene worth involving seeing, a mansion, it. it's definitely worth seeing. There's a scene involving a mansion, and it it really subverts the whole genre, um, in a way that is very clever in what it what it does and what it means for this particular scene and this particular beat because it's not just your standard like people are locked in a mansion and the zombies are starting to get in kind of thing there's this really significant aspect to the plot that means that that is completely different 
Yeah, um, cool. It's very, very clever. So yes, great movie. I hope that they really use the lessons that they learned from that to... Um, yeah, right. Mm. Well, <laughs> keeping on the Danny Boyle theme, just rolling on, like I found an article here, um, <laughs> just mystifies me a little as to why he would ever have told anyone, but Danny Boyle has apparently revealed in an interview recently, or revealed to someone who revealed in an interview, that uh, Ed Sheeran, who, star- who plays himself in the movie, wasn't his first choice. <laughs> <laughs> for like okay. pop star plays himself he said he, he wanted to get Chris Martin first but Chris Martin said oh, no oh I thought you meant Ed Sheeran wasn't his first choice to play Ed Sheeran <laughs> oh no that would be <laughs> hilarious can we get what do you mean so can we get Ron R- Weasley Rupert to do Grint's it dropped yeah. out right <laughs> yeah um, well there's a whole thing about how Fuck. they look pretty similar alright um, no, call Ed <laughs> I, sp- <laughs> I, sp- I think it's already kind of weird that there's like a uh, we can, hopefully we're going to do it next week so we'll find out but I think it's already kind of weird that it's like a person plays themselves in the movie mm. kind of position. Um, even weirder that he that would... Does feel very love, actually. Yeah, well, that he would... Oh, I'll tell you what. Um, even weirder that in a movie where... Or in a world where Danny Boyle has to go on, on the road and promote this movie and see Ed Sheeran ever again, to yeah. any girl be like, I didn't really want Ed Sheeran. I'm happy he's in it, but would have preferred Chris Martin. <laughs> I reckon you've probably got to have a fair bit of resilience about that. Like, um, I suppose, so. I suppose if Ed is like a normal person, which... You know, I hope he is. He would know that yeah. he's not fucking Chris Martin. Yeah, um, but also like <laughs> he he fucking might be. Like th- he's probably pretty close. I think that maybe Chris Martin had a different tone to his character that um, Boyle yeah. would have preferred, and then he was sort of like, okay, well, another sort of heartfelt person in the industry that's big enough that everyone's going to recognize who they are is probably Ed Sheeran. And I'll tell you so. what, I like Ed Sheeran. Yeah, uh, and I, uh, people like Chris Martin. I think that's yeah. probably why. Like, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see what the character's function is, but. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be yeah. too offended about that if I were him. Yeah. Um, Space Jam 2 has begun <laughs> has begun production, confirmed by LeBron James. Right. Who I think, <laughs> I think is affiliated. Say that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think he's affiliated with it. He's producing it or something. Um, no, well, you know how the first one starred a, a basketball star? I don't I don't remember enough about basketball Name to know. Name which one? I don't know. Is it, was it Michael Jordan? Yes. It was Michael Jordan, of course. <laughs> of course right, yeah. it was fucking Michael The most Michael famous Jordan. fucking... Yeah, basically um, the most... Like in, forgetting Tiger Woods in a right. golf film. In yeah. the moment, I didn't know. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, the first one started Michael Jordan, obviously, as we all know. Uh, well, this I think this next one is that LeBron James is in it. Yeah, I think he's in it and maybe executively producing it or something as well. So, yeah, we'll find out. Mm. Um, uh, Space Jam's kind of a movie that completely missed me. Oh really? Like I really like it. It's like a fond Like I feel like in the same way as like you never saw Ghostbusters or whatever. Mm. Um I just never saw Space Jam. Mm. I never saw Space Jam. Have you watched it in its entirety? I don't think so. Right. No. That's a big call. Well you um, have to watch it before you I see know the that one. the sexy bunny's in it. Um, Lola. Yep. Lola Bunny's also in it, I know that. Um Have you seen Who Framed <laughs> Roger Rabbit? No, I haven't. Neither have I. And apparently, that's fantastic. apparently that's the film that sort of, I, I guess, was probably what this film was really trying Inspired to by. do. Yeah. Well, that's... that's With basketball. That's done by the Back to the Future guy, Robert Zemeckis. Yes. Yeah. And so it's another film where it's like an unbelievable amount of effort and hard work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably similar to like rotoscoping or something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so that's that's coming out soon. People love Space Jam. I hope Space Jam 2 is just as good. I, I reckon like it Looney won't Ch- be. You should probably just watch the first one. Yeah, well, I feel like Looney Tunes has kind of dropped off the face of the planet. Mm. Like, I don't think anyone gives a fuck about Looney Tunes anymore. No. Uh, uh, yeah. In a weird way that, like, I don't know how they would could have dropped that ball. You would have thought that, like they would at least do like YouTube shorts or something if they were trying to keep Looney Tunes in the zeitgeist. Yeah. I don't know how they would do that, but it's weird that they've just completely 
Because I haven't seen anything to do with that. The thing that's odd about it is that there was maybe maybe this is understating it, but it it doesn't feel like there's anything specifically super focused on a on a particular cultural moment that Looney Tunes kind of dealt with. Like, obviously, running up to the '90s, yeah, sure. Like, well, it's just that 1940s, 50s classic cartoon era type thing, right? But it was 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, and there's nothing. So that spanned far enough that you would sort of think like. I don't know. Just keep going. But maybe the idea is maybe that they're like, out of ideas. You know, maybe the idea is that like with the advent of computer, and I'm talking out of my ass here, but you know, it's episode fifty something. What's what else is new? Um, Why are you here if not, yeah. <laughs> listener? May- maybe the idea is that like with the advent of computer animation, animation was no longer something you needed a huge production house for. Right. It really. So now you've got entry. like well, not. I suppose that yeah, but like also <laughs> it means that like. I'm not so much saying that the cartoons today are of a lower standard. I'm just no, saying that like the bar of entry. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, the thing that I said. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> just that, like, yeah, there are so many more now. Like now, you've got your fucking Family Guy and The Simpsons and Rick and Morty, and also and all those other can ones. Jump in for, even from like when we were in early high school. Anyone could jump on a fucking Macromedia Flash Maker and make a make Flash thing and exactly. upload it to Newgrounds. Like you could make animation on your dad's computer. Maybe it's or just your the market computer. is therefore yeah. bloated and no one gives a fuck about these. But. Uh, I, don't, I feel like people have an affection for 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 it wasn't Bugs Bunny in the same way as people have an affection for like Kermit, the I frog, and the other Muppets, and they've remained relevant. In the same way that um, that you know, to I don't know if this is going to be relevant to any of you little beef bulletins coming up, but <laughs> um, in the same way that like there was so much heart and soul put into the animation of the Lion, the first Lion King movie, when you make it look like photorealistic, it loses all of its emotion, and. It feels a bit like the thing that people really valued from the... Well, like, one of the things people got a lot of value from from the first Lion King is how much emotion the characters portrayed. You know, Timon and Pumbaa are very cartoonish, entertaining yeah, characters. stylized, cartoony so kind of... Yeah. I feel like one of the values of Looney Tunes isn't any particular joke about the uh, the era that it was in or anything. It's, it's the love that goes into, like, the almost slapstick, but a little bit of a cut above slapstick humor. Yeah. And how that's reflected in the animation of the characters. Well, I feel like back then they were also hugely influential. Like Mel Blanc, the guy who voiced Bugs Bunny, mm. did like a thou- like hundreds of voices, literally. Yeah. Through all his cartoons. That's right. It was like mostly him. Right? Yeah, and like there were all there was a huge like all the foley and the sound design and stuff that went into all those cartoons and like all the brilliant writing that combined all the like, the visual jokes and the animation and the way that everything sort of I watched a whole bunch of little essays little video essays that analyze Looney Tunes and sort of talk about why they're incredible. And so I feel like they were maybe back then, they sort of started and had all these innovations in the field of animation Mm. that we've all learned from and gained from and that those characters are perhaps only popular because they were popular back then. And I think that maybe they wouldn't be as popular now. Like almost in the same way as a lot of old 60s music, a lot of people, when they go back and listen to it, they have this reaction of like, well, I understand what you're coming from, but it doesn't really do anything for me. Or like you sort of, sort of like it's a lot more helpful with the context. Like you can listen to like, I don't know, Hendrix is amazing, but you can listen to a lot of Hendrix's stuff and be like, oh, there's a lot of music like this now. And you can be like, yeah, but no one else is doing this. Do you think it has something to do with the fact that like a lot of that show relies on like, mo- I think it was comedy, right? Mostly comedy. I think it's yeah. safe to say. And <laughs> yeah. we've had so many 
things reference that and use it and build upon it now that people would have experienced even probably before they actually experienced Looney Tunes, especially yeah, kids. It's almost like after. Creative Commons part of culture. Yeah, but and it's it, just taken as a given. But they're taken as a given is stuff that Looney Tunes gave birth to decades after its initial that's, inception. That's kind of so what I, I mean about the whole sixties music thing. About yeah, like exactly. there's a lot of stuff out that there. That just got me thinking, yeah. Yeah. You don't people don't appreciate the role that Looney Tunes had in birthing the industry in the same way as a lot of people don't appreciate the role that a lot of that older music mm. or older movies or whatever have in the influence and the sort of birthing of their own industries. I'm going to try and use the word birthing a lot less Going back hour. to it. <laughs> <laughs> going back to it, I guess, as in going back and watching these cartoons now, they might seem like quite, I guess, derivative or even um, kind of trite and cliche. Well, like, yeah, whatever, it's a cartoon. Like now, a, yeah. yeah. Well, not just that it's a cartoon, but that it's, it's a cartoon that's using very rudimentary ideas in an extremely well-executed fashion. So... I guess those the rudimentariness of their ideas because they've been innovated upon so many times now might kind of cheapen the impact for modern modern viewers. I wonder if that's possibly why. Yeah, which which is just that just means that they shouldn't like they should animate. Uh, sorry, means that they should innovate. Um, well, I think I don't, maybe they just can't, I don't know, but maybe yeah, they just can't. Know. Maybe there's just so much yeah. out there and like I'm, it's Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers has so much other shit they're doing. That maybe they're like, oh, who gives a fuck about Looney Tunes? Yeah, we've There's it's no done what it's done. To, it's just weird yeah. that Space Jam's coming out. Zack Snyder to make another dog shit superhero movie. <laughs> I assume that Space Jam Two is going to be another Looney Tunes thing. Otherwise, what the, what's the point in doing it? I would assume so. Yeah. Um, so it's really strange. They've still they've still got all the rights to all the characters. And stuff, yeah, so. I just think it's strange that they've just sort of dropped the ball on that. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Well, I hadn't thought about that. Like, I suppose I haven't seen Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and that whole crew. Oh, the, in anything this, for know, a while. This shit, like Kingdom Hearts three came out, but this like year, that's pretty you know, obscure. And we even talked about it back then. Just the idea that like this is probably the first property we've seen the mouse in in a little while. I think maybe Disney, it's just that those short form animated characters don't really have much of a place in modern society. Yeah, where would you even watch that kind of stuff? Because like I don't that's know. That's why I sort of thought about YouTube videos first. Yeah, TV anymore. Yeah, mm, interesting. Interesting. Uh, I got another one here. Pixar has announced a new film called. Soul. It is a oh, new film that's going to come out in June of 2020, which is going to involve, quote, a journey from the streets of New York City to the cosmic realms to discover the answers to life's most important questions. So <laughs> who knows what's going on with that. But um, it's director, I mean, like it sounds like a very vague description of what it is, but it's the same director behind Up and Inside Out. Which are both brilliant. Both incredible movies. Yeah. yeah. I'm mm. really excited for that. It's, of course, uh, following on from the film that's going to come out soon now, starring Tom Holland and Chris Pratt and Julia Louis-Dreyfus, called Onward, which was that one that's set in a fantasy world. Now, that's what I was wondering about. monsters and unicorns and shit. That's what I thought their next film was. Okay, right. Yeah, so, so this is, is like an, another one. So, or, Onward comes out, well, I suppose, sometime later this soon, year. right? Yeah. yeah, I think I think it's this year. Um, that looks cool. Mm. I like Chris Pratt. I, I like I'm Tom excited for anything that's new IP from Disney. Exactly. So. Oh, the Pixar is always yeah, good. Octavia Spencer is fantastic as well. Yeah, oh, there you go. So, um, yeah. well, so I'm ex excited for that. Excited for all the new shit they ever do. I'll probably watch all their movies until they sort of cast three themselves forever. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yep. I'm kind of constrained to it. Uh, right. I'll, t I'll touch on one here, and then we can, I've got a story that can link us in with Toy Story 4. How's that? 
Oh, well, you know, we got a, I got a bit of beefness or pleasure as well, so we, yeah, we can take our, we can take our sweet time. Right. Um, Mark Hamill is fucking conf- pump those brakes, <laughs> man. Mark Hamill has confirmed that Luke Skywalker will return as a Force ghost in Star Wars: and Rise of the Skywalker. Once again, he's definitely fucked. <laughs> he's just want to be clear. What? Even in ghost form, oh, right. he retains yeah. his history of having rooted virgin. at least more than once. <laughs> he's going to come in because of Force Ghost with a fucking chastity belt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wallet yeah, with a very to clear, a taut outline of <laughs> condom. Has to talk to a ghost girl and just gets a <laughs> flop sweat. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Uh, yeah, weird. Good on you, Mark. <laughs> Luke Skywalker spends a week and a half deliberating about how he's going to talk to Ray. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Imagine. Yeah, good um, God. Uh, I, don't, I think that at this point it will be surprising if he didn't return as a force ghost considering this happened to literally every single Jedi that's ever been killed off in that thing yeah right um, I think with any sort of storyline update like that it never impacts me in a way that I then go on to process that going into the movie I'm always just like huh and then it leaves my head yeah you know? so it's like Okay, the implications of that are like, okay, there will be Force ghosts, and at some <laughs> point Mark Hamill will appear as Luke, I assume. Cool. What if that story, what if that story was re- leaked like 30 years ago, and someone 30 years ago saw like, in 2020, there is <laughs> yeah. a headline that says Luke Skywalker going to come out as Force Ghost. You're like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. 30 years away? Jesus. Yeah, imagine time travel. <laughs> um... Yes. Uh, a couple stories here to wrap up the news about Toy Story 4 and its production. The first one I've got here from Screen Rant, they're talking about the idea that... <laughs> from Screen Rant. Um, <laughs> talking about the idea that Toy Story 4 was sort of pitched and made in the first place um, with the idea of wanting to bring Bo Peep back into the Toy Story universe. Right. Um, and just the idea that that could then inherently... Um, give a whole lot of learning opportunities for all the different characters and bring the story to a whole new place when they think about like, well, where is Bo Peep now? Uh, And that kind of thing. Mm. Which is interesting, I think. And it sort of ties in with a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about later in the the show about the themes of Toy Story 4. Yeah, Uh, I think it's an interesting choice considering that it's always been very like the two male-centric characters. Like Jesse is brought in as the cowgirl. um, But it's, it's sort of always been about Buzz and Woody. Yeah. And this is a little bit about Woody and Bo Peep. I kind of loved it, the way it talked about that mm. and sort of analysed that relationship. Yeah, I think it's a um, really cool lens for it to be looking through. And the, the other sort of uh, headline that ties in with that is Andrew's uh, headline here from Empire where they're saying that they were secretly writing Toy Story 4 before Toy Story 3 had even come out, which I suppose isn't really a surprise because these films take be years able, to make. I mean, this is like what journalists dream about, but I would love to be able to like go into a bunch of these different movie studios and see, like, right, what are we working on that's going to come out in, like, six years? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, well, you know how somebody, like, on Reddit, someone posted that, like, here's the roadmap of every fucking Marvel movie for the next 15 yeah. years. And people will be like, we're going to get Ant-Man and the Wasp 2? Yep. <laughs> What's yeah, Ant-Man fuck. 1? Yeah. Kind of shit. Where they're like, you don't know me. I'm going to nope. I might not like Ant-Man. Yep. Fuck you. Kind of shit. Yep. Um, so it's clearly been in the works for ages. And I feel like when this film, Toy Story... Four got announced. We were all like, "Really? Yeah, like, I was." I thought Toy Story three um, wrapped it up really nicely. Yes. What the fuck are you gonna do for Toy Story four? I, I was think we'll extremely t- skeptical. Yeah, we'll talk about it a bit later. Mm. But I think the fact that they had nah. a roadmap, <laughs> the fact that they had a roadmap the whole time, I suppose, is comforting. Just to know that, like, it, even though it is a cash grab, 
just the idea that like, oh, it's not like they're going to try and bend over backwards. It's not like they were ever going to try and bend over backwards to make the story work. Like right. going into, I wish I'd known that because I would have been a lot happier to see it. I was sort of sort of dragged. Kick, we were both, I think, sort of kicking and screaming like, fine, we'll go watch Toy Story 4. Yeah, well, what else is between? out? It was, we were choosing we, between was, this and Men in Black International. And yeah. I was not any more enthused about I this think than both I was of us about like, the other one. I don't care what we watch. What do you want to watch? Yeah. I don't care what we watch. What do you want to watch? Spoiler alert. This movie was the correct choice to make. So good. Fucking hell. I loved it. Anyway. Um, I think before we jump, dive into Toy Story 4, because mm. we're getting dangerously close to staying <laughs> on topic. It's talking about the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Fuck that. Cut it. We should talk it. about Beefness or Pleasure. Yeah. Beefness or Pleasure, of course, the segment where every week we have some very serious beefness that we need to cover on the show. Mm. This week, a very serious beefness that we've prepared for rigorously is Toy Story 4. We've both gone to watch the movie. <laughs> and thus prepared rigorously. All part of the day's work of doing a podcast. Yeah. But of course, sometimes, boy, we like to kick back and relax. I don't know about you, but I had a bit of time to myself this week. Mm. I had a bit of a, a couple hours to engage in some pleasurable pleasure activities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a couple hours. I'm not afraid to say it. I had a couple hours to pleasure myself Yep. this week. And what did you I do that watched with? <laughs> I might have watched a couple movies, a couple of little uh, little bits of media that you might not have. No. So I thought I might just come here and tell you about it. So in, in this week's segment of Beefness or Pleasure, we're going to tell you all about the uh, happy little fun, fun, pleasurable times we had this week. Mm. Yeah, I got some... I, I've, I've got a little... <laughs> A gamer exclusive. Oh no! Pleasure this time. So I got some interesting <laughs> stuff to talk about on that. Um, but yeah, didn't realize I was doing a podcast with a gamer the yeah. whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Ripping my mask off, and it's a Guy Fawkes mask. Oh no! Yeah, jokes. I'm I'm really sexist and racist. <laughs> gonna, gonna go have to go cast my mind back and just make sure we've been ethical the whole time. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, do you want to go first? Or should I? I might launch into it. Yeah, you go first. Yeah, yeah sure. Well, I've um, I watched a couple films this week, and um, <laughs> I don't want to bring the mood of the podcast Humble down. Brag. <laughs> yeah, I don't want. Yeah, well, it's not something I often do. Like often, like I mean, this it means this week I've watched like three movies, mm. which isn't something that I often have time to Fucking do these King days. King Heenan over here, <laughs> yeah. and I don't want to bring the mood of the pod down a bit. But I've just had a shit week. Yeah, and so like, boy's been having a rough time. Oh man, and so like, and it's nothing big. I'm fine, but it's just like a couple little things and you get a couple little things that build up and suddenly you got five little things that just absolutely fuck your whole yeah. week and so I was just curling up under Maduna watching movies um, good on you man <laughs> self care having a bit of self care time fuck and yeah. fuck me did I choose some bad movies <laughs> for that <laughs> for that yeah um, so I <laughs> first one I'll talk about just in terms of like their overall tone impact yeah, and like you might even so the first one I watched was La La Land, yeah. right? And so from the service, I thought, you know what, La La Land, it's a happy musical. That's gonna, you know, that's gonna really cheer me up. See how it goes. Um, had you seen it before? I have seen it. Right. I have seen it before. You've seen so both I've got of these no one else to, you're about to talk yeah, about before. Yeah, exactly. I've seen both of them before. I have no one to blame but myself. <laughs> yeah. But like, fuck me. Do both of these films have just the most fucked up, dark, bummer ass, like morals? Yeah. By the end of the film. So I'm going to spoil yeah. these straight away. So you had La La Land and Perks of Being a Wallflower. Skip like five minutes I ahead. put off watching La La Land, but I've never seen it. It's and really I good. I don't really have any intention of going back and watching it. But it's I've really good. But I've heard enough right. that, yeah, okay. I don't know. It's good. But... Spoil away. Um, okay, great. Uh, so it has this general idea. It's, it's a musical. It's the one that almost won Best Picture. 
Emma Stone is in it. Ryan Gosling's in it. Is that the one it. where they read it out yeah, and they had to rescind it? it? Yeah. Fuck yeah. Um, so Emma Stone won Best Actress for it. Yep. Ryan Gosling is brilliant in it. But <laughs> Which I, was then taken away and given to Meryl <laughs> Streep. <laughs> yeah. uh, Ryan Gosling's also in it. I mostly just watched this because Ryan Gosling was in it and I loved him in a couple of movies I've seen recently. And obviously like Emma Stone is... A, a hallmark of quality as well. Like she's, oh, she's great. Like mostly at the moment, I'm obsessed with Ryan Gosling. Yeah. So like I watched. But um, if you had to pick one of those two people to masturbate to, it would be Ryan, Ryan Gosling. Gosling. Yeah. <laughs> um, because like, he was good in the Nice Guys. He's good in the Big Shot. Like right, what else has Ryan Gosling been in? I'll he's watch great that. in the photos that I'm looking at while I'm yeah, in bed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, he's. I tried to get the poster in like a bigger size, but it's. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I already have to turn my Keeps head to see it from one it's side damp. to the other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so the the vague idea is aspiring actress meets jazz musician who is just playing pianos at parties and shit and in restaurants. He wants to like he's he loves jazz and he ends up getting railroaded in his career where he gets he gets to be in like a popular pop jazz band with like John Legend that play like pop music. Yeah. Um but it's not really what And he he, wants to he do. doesn't really get to achieve his dream of opening up a cool jazz bar called Chicken on a Stick in the jazz bar that Charlie Parker starred in and he wants to play all this cool jazz music and he's going to like bring jazz back to the people. He sort of the whole film sort of about him abandoning that dream. And she falls more and more in love with him and then her passion for acting gets in the way of their relationship. Right. And so the whole film sort of ends with like her sacrificing this perfect relationship with Ryan Gosling in order to sort of pursue her career. Mm. And Ryan Gosling's whole time throughout the movie is sort of been like him kind of giving up on ever being able to achieve his dreams. Uh, and the film, and this is just straight up spoiling, at the end of the film is it flashes forward like five years into the future and she's in some married with kids relationship with some other fuckwit and she's hugely famous and successful. Right. And Ryan Gosling still lives in his shitty apartment but he's finally been able to open his bar. Right. And they, she like randomly goes into this bar with her husband one night without realizing it's his her ex her ex partner's bar yeah and it's the bar that he's been talking about the whole movie and she sees him on stage playing piano and he's playing this jazz piano and there's this fucking neon sign that she designed and a little napkin for him back in the early stages of the movie and then the movie flashes back and shows you their whole life their whole lives in that 5 years that they flash through instead of through the timeline where Emma Stone is now a famous actress and this dude started this bar as like what their life could have been like if they had stayed together and they right. were this perfect couple and this perfect couple did stay together and like here's where they are now and it looks amazing. Oh, that's gross. And then it cuts back and Emma Stone's in the audience with her rando husband and Ryan Gosling's on stage alone playing piano and they make eye contact and like that's the end of the movie. Ah, oh, that's no good. And the moral's <laughs> like, yeah, sometimes in life you have great things happen to you and you just have to sacrifice them and just give them up. Fuck. And it just never happens. Yeah. And like and I, I was just in the wrong fucking headspace to watch like, this movie. And man. there are vastly better outcomes that if mm. you were making different choices exactly. could be happening to you <laughs> at this very moment. Exactly. But instead, you're in this timeline. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. Oh no. It's like sometimes Sometimes the perfect girl just gets away. Sometimes the perfect yeah. job opportunity, you just miss it. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, but you could have not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've like chosen different. Sometimes you have regrets, and you just have to live with those regrets forever. Yeah, yeah it kind of carries <laughs> this undercurrent of like, if you didn't make perfect choices, 
Yeah, they're like, permanent. You, you You're could, stuck with those you forever. You can have the perfect life. Yeah, if you'd made different choices. The perfect life is just a couple fuck ups away. Yeah, uh, from being gone forever. Yeah, and so that was La La Land, That's... and I thought like, well, fuck. Yeah, I was. I watched La La Land, a musical with Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone, and that fucked me up. It doesn't matter what I watch at this point. <laughs> so right. Yeah. The next movie I watched was The Perks of Being a Wallflower. So, I, and I remembered that because it had a great soundtrack. It's got heroes. They Bowie in it. It's got that Come On Eileen. Um, yep. Uh, Dexy's Midnight Runners song. It's got a really good soundtrack. The Smiths. Like, like the Smiths. It's Smiths. got a couple. There's a couple movies across my the last ten years that have sort of introduced me to a new wave of music. Mm. Like uh, the boat that rocked is one of my favorite movies because it's mo- it's a mo- obviously not an actual new wave of music, but a no, new well, old wave of music. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I mean, like a new kind. Yeah, it's like movies yeah. that get me interested in other bands and things I've never listened to before. Just well. reassuring so, our listeners yeah, that right, you're no. not getting into modern music. That oh, no. It's uh, um, it's all from thirty. Funnily to 40 enough, Perks of Being is new wave music. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, the Boat That Rocked is a favourite movie of mine and it's about 60s pirate radio stations in Britain. And But that has a ho- the whole soundtrack is like a double album of all these brilliant old 60s pop and rock music uh, tunes that a lot of people of our age have never heard because it's not the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. It's like mm. other stuff that we that it still isn't that famous but it's brilliant. Yeah, and, and like arguably, yeah, I don't know, of, of just as much value, just as famous. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it makes me think that like, you know, these days there's bands like I don't know to pull a name out of nowhere like Florence and the Machine mm. I think is really good and I really liked that Florence and the Machine album when I was when it came out in like year 10 or 11 Monks, or whatever yeah, yeah. still a great but album I think no one's gonna remember it in 20 years and so it makes me think I like remember it in 20 years. yeah well it makes me think like what music is lost to time that yeah. is brilliant but it's just not the Rolling Stones yeah you know it's like the 10th best album that came out in 1968 or the 50th best album it's still a brilliant album but like you will just be gone. And so similarly, I know these are all big hits that were in Perks of Being a Wallflower, but Perks of Being a Wallflower got me into a lot of eighties music and a lot of new wavy kind of music that I had never really listened to before. Yeah, and it's it's not a bad like start here. It's really list. good. It's based on a book and this movie is by written and directed name. by the author of the book. Stephen Chbosky. Yeah. Um the movie a total bummer and another mistake that I shouldn't have watched it this week. Yeah. I'm going to spoil the pecs of being a wallflower. I think we're going to probably put in the description the link to skip all these spoilers that yeah. I'm dropping because I think these are both great movies. Um, the crux of the movie, and again, very similarly to La Land, and just mind-blowing that I managed to find two films that have the same bummer of a message. So it's basically this sort of wallflower of a kid who goes to he's his first year in high school. He befriends all these sort of final year high school kids and makes friends with them one of them is Emma Watson who he thinks is gorgeous and she's so cool and he she's meant to be the perfect manic pixie woman right exactly like she loves the Smiths and she loves that he loves the Smiths and there's this her her stepbrother is this funny guy who's kind and caring and they're all kind of outcasts and they all become sort of best friends and he falls madly in love with Emma Watson um and is sort of too shy to ever tell her, and so they sort of stay friends for the whole film. And right at the very end of the film, they sort of open up to each other, and he talks about how he's never been in a relationship with anyone, and she kisses him and says, like, oh, I want the first kiss you ever get to be with someone that loves you. And they have this really tender moment, and he sort of thinks, like, oh, she really is the perfect woman, and 
how amazing is this? And then she's like, great, well, I'm going to move away forever now and you'll never see me again. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. It's awful. It's awful. Yeah. And then the movie just... It, it's and it's like, got this double twist of like, by the way, you can you finally also found someone that understands the struggles of having been like molested as a child. Yeah. And so it's, like, it, he's met this partner that's not just like someone someone that's perfect, but someone that can understand a very unique position that he is in. I, I get that the film is kind of, it's one of those coming of age films where it's like the right person comes along at the right time and gets you through this hard point in your life. Um, and so like, I get that the movie isn't supposed to be like, oh, the fucking Mary Emma Watson. But like, I mean, it definitely is. Yeah, but, and you, there's an argument you say for like, yeah, but like, it's just because you're 16 and you're into this chick for like a couple of weeks, and like, it's it it captures perfectly that feeling you get when you're a teenager or when you're a kid of like whatever it is you're going through is the most important thing in the world, and yeah. you can look back on it. It's in five, all consuming. Yeah, exactly, and you can look back on it in five years and be like, oh, that doesn't actually really matter that much, does it? But the way the movie makes it, f- sort of frames it, it's like, she's the most important person in the world to him, and she's gone forever, and he just missed it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and, and someone, that's so, someone that's so vulnerable, like, she had such a strong impact on him. Yeah. yeah. And both it's as if the, on- the only thing that's ever made his life good yeah. is disappearing. Right, exactly. And so both of these films have, and again, I'm fine, but like both <laughs> of these films have this sort of bittersweet, nostalgic look on, like, Stuff that characters have just missed out on that it tells you is absolutely gone forever. Yeah. And it just makes you sit there and be like, well, fuck. All <laughs> I wanted to hear was someone to say like, hey, man, things are going to get better. This this shit doesn't happen forever. And these movies are like, no, nah, man, this shit's forever. Yeah, <laughs> it's permanent. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And like, I so, think it's just a real fucked up, real fucked up moral to yep. have in a movie that's like, I don't know, like, teenagers watch this shit and just had to have the moral be like, sometimes shit feels important and it is important and it's just gone. <laughs> and you just have to come to terms with that. And I feel like that kind of reminds me a lot of Toy Story 4 and a lot of the themes that it has about change and adapting to change and anxiety and about the positive outcomes of that or otherwise. But, like, fuck, man. Two two real sleeper films in terms of like films that seem like they'll be a good time, and you get to the end and you just have to sit there and think about your life for like a good twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't read the book; it's even more of a bummer. Yeah, no. Thank it's, you for um, the heads up. It like, it, it, yeah. It's, Luckily uh, for me, I haven't read a book since two thousand and nine. So in uh, in the book, he kind of like pushes her away even more forcefully, despite the fact that she wants to be. I think she kind of wants more and he like sort of becomes, grows increasingly uncomfortable and stops her despite the fact that he does want that. And it's revealed that the reason why he's doing that is because of his like post-traumatic stress and the feelings that he has towards like love and intimacy. Yeah. And so it's sort of like um, even more directly by his own hand and less his fault that she ends up like, kind of leaving and being pushed away so it's like yeah. and it doesn't then like do the little nice thing at the end it's it, it just like <laughs> it's what? just like that's how this man lives now yeah and that's the thing <laughs> like these films they try and do a little nice thing at the end but you're still left with this 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 brutal like bittersweet feeling I think that bittersweet feeling is my favourite and I've been sort of complaining but not really about these films it's my favourite feeling in a film it's right. like a film that's dramatic and funny and sweet but has this 
bittersweet, sad, punch-in-the-guts feeling to it, where you sort of finish watching it and you're like, that wasn't really a perfectly happy ending. If I had predicted what I would want as a happy ending, you sort of don't get that. You sort of get your third or fourth choice and you see the character, you see the main character be happy with it, but because of the sort of omnipotent view that the audience has of the whole story, we as an audience still go, oh, yeah, but it could have been better. Come on, Emma Stone. I mean, you uh, could have been with Ryan Gosling and you could have made it work. I, I agree with uh, you know that, what I mean? that La La Land sounds, sounds fucking devastating because it just like but whips she's happy you back. Because it sort of skips the five years where she learns to love this rando and has a kid with him and has this big career. Does and so it all seem you've genuine? Seen, yeah. Yeah. Right. So okay, like so she's so she comes home to this beautiful house with this this rando guy and the rando kids and she's loving it. Be like, hi, honey, how's it going? Oh, hi, right. sweetie. Right. So it's a, it's a proper and, it's a loving but, relationship. We're us, yeah. And but us as the audience, are like, oh, but but what? Right. And so the, the the doubt with La La Land is that you get this. You see, it flashes five years in the future to Emma to Emma Stone in a loving relationship, and she's fine, and Ryan Gosling's fine, and then they make eye contact in the club. And it plays that last five years in the parallel universe where Ryan Gosling and her stayed together. Where they're thinking about what could have been. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's what that's that's what that's sort of a, an allegory for, I suppose. But then you see the sort of look in their eye for like a split second where they both sort of as if they've both just sort of seen that and thinking they're both about thinking it. about it. Yeah. And then they sort of shake out of it and then they leave. But like it's just <sighs> I don't know. Because Perks Been a Warflower, like, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. But the film ends, I think, in a pretty happy way because Sam ends up coming back and he, she she and Charlie, so that's uh, Emma Watson's character and whoever the fuck the main character is, Uh, Logan Logan Lerman, who sounds like a MASH character. (laughs) Emma Watson um, and Charlie. (laughs) Yeah, Sam and Charlie. Um, end up like she comes back and so they end up like kissing on the back of the truck and then kind of like driving off into the sunset effectively. So she goes off to college forever. No, she comes back. Did you not watch the last like five minutes of the movie? Because yeah, it he's he uh goes to kill himself and then uh, yeah, that was the like she end, just comes to hang out, but then they she's make in, out. They make out before she leaves as well. Yeah. Both. Why it's so sad? Which is, but then, so for me, I read that as like, she's gone forever, and then she comes back, and uh, after you thought that she was gone forever, she comes back. They kiss. It's like they're gonna make it work, you know. I don't think they do make it work. The way that the wistful narration kind of feels in the movie is that like, you could almost it almost sounds like he's talking about what his life was like ten years ago. Mm. And she's not really a part of his life anymore, or like she's not That's really not how I his wife at all or whatever. The movie. She's like, oh, uh, again, maybe on it in another week I would have. Yeah. <laughs> I felt this movie had <laughs> this a mad week. happy ending. <laughs> no. I thought that it got. Uh, I I liked it because it got the best of both worlds, where it made you feel that like sucker punch to your gut, but then it was like, nah, just kidding. There, yeah. it's fine. You know, whereas the book is fucked. But this movie okay, was great. like... Well, I'm glad I didn't read the book. Yeah. Uh, the, the, what did, what did I, you... I found, like this movie... Oh, I've <laughs> okay. got... We're done with spoilers. Welcome <laughs> yeah. back if you skipped ahead for the Hello. spoilers for those movies from 10 years ago. Um, Andrew. Yeah. You better have played some happy-ass video game. Uh, no, but <laughs> I feel like it's going to impact you less because I didn't play video games about like relationship breakdowns. <laughs> um, it's not... The, I don't know. It's just. It's not even anything specific. It's just like... Fuck man, it's just it's just that idea of like 
it's drilled into you this positivity of like everything's gonna be fine. And just two movies in a row that's like, no man, some yeah. shit's just not fine. Maybe it's not. Some shit's just not <laughs> yeah. fine forever. It's yeah. just <laughs> some shit's very convincingly not fine. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, no bueno oh. for the old anxiety, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell me about what you did this week. Um. So I've spent. Uh, I number one. I played uh, the entirety of a video game, uh, which was a first-person shooter that came out back in uh, 2010. That's been on my list for ages. Called Metro 2033, which I'm sure that you have heard of, and a bunch of our listeners I probably, probably own it on Steam. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> I bought it again on PS4 and played through it because it was on sale. It's good. It was really good. Uh, it's a bit of a weird one. So this is actually strongly influenced by Watch Me Like It Back to Films, Tarkovsky's Stalker. It's like a Russian post-apocalyptic thing. Yes. That is based on a novel called A Roadside Picnic by the Strugatsky brothers. And the idea is aliens came and visited Earth and they left a bunch of shit behind. And because humans have no fucking idea what any of these things are or what they're meant to do, they're terrifying and dangerous. But to the race of beings that knew how to use them they were trash that you would leave behind at a, a roadside picnic right. right? back when the book was written and people left trash. <laughs> like that scene in Mad Men where they just have the picnic and just leave all and this yeah, shit. Yeah, exactly. So the <laughs> idea is like... When's it set? That sounds cool. Uh, it's really cool. Uh, it's set in the 50s. Fuck, I'm going to read that. I'm obsessed with 50s sci-fi, film, sci-fi books. Yeah. I read one recently. Have you ever read The Day of the Triffids? Yeah, yeah. It's a fucking great book, yeah. man. But it's <laughs> My the same dad's thing. a massive fan. Well, I'll let you get back to it, but it's the same thing where, like, I think the most interesting bit isn't the bullshit with the science fiction and the world that it builds up, but it's literally just, like, what this guy thinks is a normal description of life. John Wyndham, yeah. It's what this guy thinks is, like, a normal description of 50s life. And so, like, he'll just, like, like the characters will be wandering through some apartment that's been abandoned because it's the apocalypse in the 50s and just the way they describe a 1950s apartment is like fucking fascinating no, I'm, I'm like all a, in a slice of life yeah all that slice 50s, of life yeah, shit it's cool yeah. so this is um, so this Russian thing the novel is set in the novel gives the most context for any of the stuff I'm about to talk about so I'll focus on the storyline of the novel so what's and based on the novel how they, the book is based all on of the it's novel. based on the novel the okay, novel's right. where all this started from okay, right. so the idea is it's it's this phenomenon of post-visitation. So it's after these aliens have come and left all the shit behind. Governments are pretty fearful about it, so they just lock down this massive zone where all of these artifacts are left behind. And then this, there's this subculture of people who are come to be known as stalkers who scavenge through the zone to steal or exploit artifacts for profit or for other uses. Right. Um, Oh, sorry. In the book, it's actually set in a fictitious town in Canada, um, but what it was it was written in the Soviet Re- written Union. Written in the Soviet Union, and so a lot of the adaptations that take place take place in the Soviet Union, as with Tarkovsky's Stalker, uh, which uh, famously uh, was recorded in radioactive. Soviet territory and a lot of the film crew ended up dying. What do you That's mean? about oh, wow. literally, yeah. There's a really interesting story story behind that. We should do Stalker one week. I'm super keen to watch it. Sure. Um, the script for the film was written by the brothers that wrote Roadside Picnic. So that's about these stalkers going through the zones of finding stuff. And there's all sorts of like 
traps and shit. So like one thing, for instance, one trap is called a uh, meat grinder, and it's 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 this like shimmering air that you have to be really careful because it's really hard to see. But if you step into it, it just turns you into this human pulp. Hell yeah. So like the way that stalkers navigate is that they like throw coins and bolts and nuts and stuff in front of them. And if they see the, if the, if the coins and bolts just land on the ground, then it's fine to walk there. But if they get sucked up and crushed and then like pumped against then the maybe ground, that's not the best, then uh... you don't step into that. <laughs> the creativity behind it is really interesting. But it's this like alien kind of science fiction-y kind of yeah. post-apocalyptic kind of world. Yeah. That's cool. So, and so the video game is based on that. Yeah, so Stalker was a movie back in the 70s. There's been lots of different things, but then a video game adaptation of the Stalker film called Stalker. Three um, video games were made during memory, the early 2000s. The barrier of entry is brutal and they're really hard. They're fucking difficult. <laughs> and they're very unpolished, weird little first-person shooters, but there's so much value to them because of the storytelling that there's there's cult classics. They're really, really popular. Then the same studio is picked up by a much bigger publisher and they made this game, which is based on a different novel uh, called Metro 2033. Right by Dmitry Glukovsky. Uh, this takes place in the metro of a post-apocalyptic Moscow after nuclear war. And it sort of draws on a lot of the ideas of the stalker universe in that like, there's weird phenomena and monsters running around and some of the monsters like mutated animals, but some of them are sort of like almost alien in a way. Right. Uh, and basically it's just a survival horror game. But with a layer of depth over the top of it that makes it really compelling to play. Oh, cool. Um, and the the book is really interesting as well. Well, so we were talking about Bioshock before in it's the same way. It's very Bioshock Bioshock-y. 1. Oh, that's cool. Bioshock 1. Cool. Yes. So it's a really another game, game that's set in a completely different setting but has this like... On the surface, it just sounds like a first-person shooter, but it's got this depth and this huge world and this story the to storytelling it. The storytelling is fantastic. Yeah. It's really immersive. So you'd yeah. say it's kind of similar to that. Yeah. And like the way that it makes you... so you, Even though there's a big call, like, oh, it's kind of like Bioshock. No, this is kind of... I feel of, like it's yeah. the, it kind of sounds like the Beatles of video games. Right. Like <laughs> so it, it's very atmospheric. It makes you... So there's sections where you have to be wearing a gas mask and things like your breath fogs up the gas mask on your screen. That's cool. And you have to like <laughs> you have to wipe it away if you walk through like mud or water or whatever. There's right. a button to like wipe your visor. And so when you put the visor on, it changes the audio because all of a sudden you're breathing inside a gas mask. Oh, so it's like, like a, head- <sighs> a headphones kind of yeah, game. it is. And uh, like ammo is really really scarce, so you have to be really careful with it. And you can. They use currency, they use ammunition as currency, and the ammunition that they use as currency is way better quality ammunition than the ammunition that you use to shoot. And if you choose, you can load your gun with that high quality ammo. Mm. So you're loading your gun with money. That's cool. That's not a very common dilemma in video games if you're not a video game person. There's a little there's already are a couple little details that yeah, make it sound like it's they're very re- grabbing. They yeah. really give a fuck. So there's three of those games now. The last one's about to be released oh, wow. as an Epic Games exclusive, which has made a lot of people very angry. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a really good game. It's on PS4. It was like seven dollars, so oh, I wow. picked it up. Um, it's really good. Uh, and yeah, it's a really interesting world. If you're into books and that sounds appealing to mm, you, nope. Not you. <laughs> if if listeners are into books, uh, yeah, check out Dmitry Glukovsky's Metro 2033. There's also 2034 and 2035 direct sequels, so, so it's what part the, of a trilogy. What have the books got to do with the roadside picnic, or is it just the world it's in similar, general? It's a similar, similar tone of Stalker's 
navigating this environment. But the books of, themselves aren't related. They're just similar in theme. N- yeah. So, okay. like, the, the, it's very clearly... Roadside Picnic has very clearly spawned all of these other books. Right, okay. So, if you're interested, apparently Roadside Picnic is very, very good to read. I got a couple of friends that are mad fans of it, and we studied it back in high school. Um, so, check that one out. But also, Metro 2033, a great book. The other thing that I've been doing this week that's been taking up a lot of my time um, is that there's this event on at the moment called Games Done Quick. Sure. And it's a speedrunning convention, right? Where people play games and they try to get the game finished as fast as they possibly can. And they do that live streamed so that people can donate money to charity. But so the impressive thing here is it's not just like... This dude's really good at Crash Bandicoot. It's like, no, this dude has worked out all the glitches in the game. Yeah. And this dude has worked out how to, like, turn Crash Bandicoot into, like, a fucking computer programming suite. And he'll, like, program... He'll, like, reprogram his PlayStation through Crash Bandicoot jumps and spins. Yeah. So and then we'll finish like the game. Pokemon games where they're playing and they've, like, done shit so that it's manipulating the actual RAM of the cartridge. So they'll be, like, recoding Pokemon only yeah. using a Game Boy. Yeah. And then finish all of Pokemon in, like, eight minutes or whatever. Right. Um, and so it's not just like watch this guy be really good at a game. It's like no, watch this guy like break the break, game completely. Break this game yeah. completely. Break it open. Like move through walls in ways that you didn't ever think were possible. Like uh, a lot of people our age probably played the Ratchet and Clank games. Yeah. And there's Ratchet and Clank are great speed runs to watch because it's shit like um. Oh, there's there's a, a an invisible wall here that you can jump on to skip over this whole part of the level. Yeah. There's a just a, a a loose pixel that you can walk like, through and shit like a that. A really good example of why <laughs> speed running is interesting is that. In Ratchet and Clank, they've built the levels so that they're often a ring shape or a donut shape, so that the yeah. end of the level is right next to the start of the level because it saves like on resource system resources and loading and stuff. So it means that if you can figure out a way to clip through the barrier that they've put <laughs> between the start and end of the level, you can finish it almost straight away and you don't yeah. have to do the entire level. So seeing people find interesting ways to like get around the game rules and go through those walls or whatever... Um, is really fun to watch, especially yeah. if you f- are very familiar with the game and you had your experience playing it, and then you get to see a completely different way. Be like, oh, I could have just done that, yeah. right? And, <laughs> and it's a different type of fun because, like, obviously, most y- you'll never hit any of the storyline or whatever. Um, but it's just fun to see these people who love these games so much that they put hundreds of hours into. Um, figuring out a way to beat it in the shortest time possible. That this particular cool. event, which happens in US summer, is all profits are donated to uh, Medicine Sans Frontiers. Uh, in the uh, American winter, it's they donate to the Prevent Cancer Foundation, and they raise millions of dollars every time. Uh, and it's a really With worthwhile cause. people just cause. like donating money. So they stream it on Twitch and they read out a lot of the donations and stuff. And, and yeah, it's a good time. So I've been, I tend to uh, go through sort of most times it happens and watch games that I really like. Must be hard um, not being able to watch that while you're at work. <laughs> I don't watch it while I'm at work actually. Because <laughs> it's useless to listen to. So yeah. you, you, you have to watch it. Um, but yeah, like the, uh, I know that you've been playing through the Uncharted series recently. There was yes, a really boss. good run of Uncharted Drake's Fortune um, that cool. was very cool to watch. And yeah, a bunch of bunch of really cool ones. So if you're interested in games, I uh, strongly recommend checking. Just Google Games Done Quick. And then so is that, how long does it go for? Is it done by now? It's No, it goes for like a week. Right. Um, and they stream literally constantly. So it might be done by now, but it'll all be online. That you can all of them are on YouTube. Yeah, and if cool. you're interested in this type of stuff... 
chances are if you really liked a game at any point in your life, because they go right through someone's from, like, fucked with it. old NES games, it's probably been run at a GDQ event. So if you just Google like Pokemon Yellow GDQ or whatever, there will be a speed run of it oh, from one cool. of these events that you can just go through. It might have been from two or three years ago, but yeah, you can watch it on YouTube. That's well, cool. Well, I feel like the limited number of people that listen to this that also play video games are probably I already think got a pretty strong that. overlap. But no, and I've I've been surprised at the number of people that don't know that this goes on twice a year. So how so long, if I wanted to watch like a speed run of X game, how long does it normally? Do they normally take? I would say I most of them. Are, question, but most like of them are between fifteen minutes and an hour. Right. So like you, yeah. Most game. If you think about how long most games take for you to play. It's very rare that it's a speed not watching run goes someone, over an hour. It's not watching someone play something for five hours or 20 hours or whatever. It'll be no, like if, half an hour. There are a few really specialized runs, like a bunch of the Final Fantasy games take <laughs> like uh, uh, 7 to 20 hours to run. And some absolute nutsacks run those. <laughs> but... Um, most of these games, like I'm, I'm looking at a list right now, and it's like 14 minutes, 46 minutes. So it's rel- minutes, it's relatively accessible. To oh yeah, to super it. accessible. You just jump in, um, like seeing someone finish the first Dark Souls in like 20 minutes. That's fucking cool <laughs> because they they can't level up or anything, and they by the end of the game they're facing end game bosses, but they haven't done anything to their you characters. You have to get so stupidly if good they take and weird. One hit, they die. Yeah, and they don't save because it takes time to save, <laughs> so they're fucked. If they take like one hit, and it's very high, high, oh, high stakes, cool. it's you've, really neat. You've sincerely convinced me. I might go in. Just if you love a game, go and look up a speed run of it. It might not have been run because there are a bunch of like games that are super heavy yeah. on cutscenes or whatever. whatever yeah. Might not have been run, but chances are it has, and it's really interesting to watch. Oh, that's cool. Mm, it's cool. neat. Thanks for sharing that with us, boy. Yeah, no I worries. Think time to k- specialist game section. <laughs> I think it's probably time to kick into uh, Toy Story Four. Yeah, our spoiler-free review of Toy Story Four. Um, we were talking. I was sort of hinting before at the idea that neither of us were particularly keen to watch this film, Mm. if only because Toy Story 3 wrapped up the whole series we felt so perfectly. We sort of thought like, and I think that it's... I remember saying like, no one is asking for this movie. Yeah. And I think that um, without getting too far into it, we're probably going to spoil 1, 2, and 3. We're going to go into uh, yeah. it, assuming you've all seen Toy Story 1, 2, and yeah, 3. Yeah, I think so, by this, um, by this stage. So. so if you haven't, go see those. We're not going to spoil Toy Story 4 until we warn you. Um, yep. I think that it's safe to say that we both absolutely loved this film. Yeah, I think and so. I was sincerely surprised by how all-in excited I was by it as soon as the music started, <laughs> yep. as soon as... Oh, I don't know. Like you, you get this warm, fuzzy feeling inside just seeing these characters, like Slinky Dog and Buzz and mm. fucking Mr. Potato Head and all that. You got a friend in me playing. Yep. You were saying it's before you, timeless. you just get this rush every time you yeah. hear it. Yeah. And I feel like these movies, like I can, I can let it. We're, um, we're recording in your folks' house today, and I can see. Yeah, like right there on the counter. Coincidentally, a, a VHS copy of Toy Story One. Yeah. Yeah, so which like, would have been watched by me like a, a shitload yeah. of times. So, like, it's been around since we were kids, man. Yeah. We've grown up with this series and with these characters. And so I feel like they've had, like, a fun place in our heart without Pokemoning this whole fucking episode all over <laughs> yeah. again. Yeah. Like, I feel like, to some degree, we were probably bound to like the movie if we ended up watching it. But I think that, sincerely, it's very good. I think it had a lot to lose because, like, it could have really done a mediocre job. Yeah, and it wouldn't. Have, it would have been so so damning that it was mediocre because this was so good. Well, I think the problem is that like Pixar's usually always. 
I think Pixar's always good, but they have like one or two movies that they've kind of fucked it on. Yeah. That means that every single time Pixar comes like out with a worried. sequel, you're like, yeah. is yes. this the one they fucked it on? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I've got a you bit, of, a, a bit, of, a thing got a bit of, a, of context that I think might make people a little more interested maybe in watching this film, or at least I just found it really interesting. So this yeah. was, there was a, a video put up by uh, Insider on Twitter that had a, a, a sort of really interesting overview of how you can see a really clear progression in uh, the technological innovation that Pixar has taken towards making these movies. Absolutely. And how each one has led to the next one, which I found really interesting. So I'll run through a little bit of the context that led from the first Toy Story, which was Pixar's breakout movie, yeah. right through to, to Toy Story 4. So a couple of numbers they run through. Toy Story 1 came out in 1995. There were 117 computers working on it. So over 114,000 frames that were rendered. Uh, It took around 1,800 minutes per frame. That's ridiculous. And there were 1,500 shots in the film. Uh, Today, they can render that film faster than you can watch it. So there's a huge change in the technology. Toy Story 4, as a comparison, is so complicated. 1,800 minutes per frame, by the way, is 30 hours per frame. Yep. Yep. That's fucked. So Toy Story <laughs> 4 is so complicated that it takes between 60 and 160 hours to render a single frame of this movie. Yeah, wow. And so, you can fucking see it. Yeah. And at the time of Toy Story 1, Pixar hadn't really figured out how to... So, like, obviously, everyone... I think everyone listening to this has probably seen Toy Story 1. They've got a pretty good mental image of yeah. the characters and the toys and stuff. Uh, it's interesting that they hadn't figured out how to animate humans properly. Uh, so you see a lot of like isolated shots of hands and feet of humans. I reckon that's a really effective way. Oh, it's clever! Like of the portraying characters look weird them. because they are toys, right? And I, I think that's a really clever way of portraying humans as like deities or aliens to these toys. Like they're completely different to them. Yeah. Um, but they definitely didn't have things like the, the reason why they they chose to do that is because they didn't have things like skin tone down. Well, it's yet. like you hear about. Uh, Old stories about why Mario has a cap like, and a mustache is yeah, because exactly. they didn't add an animate mouth and hair. Right. So they put a cap on him, put a mustache put on him, problem solved. And they're done. Yeah, exactly. Um, so then it becomes a defining characteristic of the character. Right. So Toy Story 2 comes out. So that was 95. Toy Story 2 comes out in 99. Uh, in between the two is A Bug's Life. There are heaps more humans in Toy Story 2. Uh, yeah. Like Andy is shown a fair bit more, and Al, the toy shop dude. Oh, that's true. Uh, but there's and still that whole scene with the dude that fixes Woody. That yeah, yeah, Al, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but again, mostly Woody, less the human, right? Um, it's mainly still the plastic textures of the toys. It wouldn't actually be until 2004 with The Incredibles when they first felt that they could make a film entirely with human characters, which is an interesting thing that I didn't realize. That is interesting. 2001 as uh, Monsters Inc. Uh, so they invented entirely new software to deal with fur, particularly Sully's fur. It's yeah, obviously wow. way harder in the skin because you need to animate millions of different strands instead of just a smooth surface. Well, that's like a popular thing in video games where they like uh, can often like characterize how good the graphics are in a video game by how realistic the hair of the characters are. Yeah, exactly. Are and, and they still haven't really done it very well in video yeah. games because there's a lot that look really shit. <laughs> uh, Later in Monsters University, there'd be over 250 monsters with fur, uh, sometimes like dozens in the same frame, whereas that was uh, undoable when they were first making Monsters, Inc. Software would later go on to help with the dog in Up, uh, Ratatouille, Remy, uh, and the moss on the submarine in Finding Nemo. (laughs) Um, There would also be tentacle monsters that would be improved upon 
leading up to Hank, the octopus character, and Finding Dory. Okay. Um, I don't know if you remember him. Yeah, vaguely. It's very memorable when you see it, but not very memorable to think about, I found. So 2003, Finding Nemo, yeah, they made a film entirely or at least largely set underwater. Uh, The most significant thing that they had to do there was make light look beautiful underneath the surface of the waves. Yeah. Um, And it sounded to me like Pixar has this really interesting approach where they take footage of a real-world phenomenon and just force themselves to recreate it from scratch. So they had video footage of, like, light shining down through the water uh, or, like, rain, for instance, bouncing on on, on on a slick road, and they will make themselves make that look as good as they possibly can, which means they have to basically engineer the physics of whatever's happening yeah. in a virtual environment. Well, like, even just drawing lighting and colouring like that, I think is very counterintuitive. Like, it's its own we're industry. Looking, we're looking at the moment in the room right here. So I know this doesn't help to visualise, but I'm sure <laughs> that everyone can... I'm sure everyone to some degree can imagine what we're talking about. I'm looking at, like, a dark room with light streaming in through a doorway onto the carpet uh, or the tiles or whatever. And so the tiles that we're looking at are all one colour, but the light hitting the tiles in a certain spot makes it appear like, obviously, the light and the shadow means that, like, I know intuitively it's the same color, and my brain sort of sees it as the same color. But to draw it, you'd have to draw the light on the tiles and yep. the shadow on the tiles as two completely different colors. And even then, light is noise uniform, obviously. Yeah, so, yeah. And just the idea that, like, I'm just drawing light going through water, and therefore hitting all these different things on the way down, and having to change the way everything's colored—it's oh, amazing. Right. Just thinking about having to draw one frame in 2D blows my mind. Right, and drawing is a lot more simple than programming a computer to understand how to do that. Yeah, fuck. Um, So 2006 was Cars. That gave them a chance to perfect metal surfaces. They'd then take the lessons learned from making light look right, reflecting off Lightning McQueen by rusting it up, and that went on to create everyone's favorite robot, WALL-E, in 2008. Okay. Then... Uh, Ratatouille came out well Ratatouille came out the year before that and that gave them a chance to combine like finding Nemo's water and Sully's fur so that we could like follow Remy while he was floating down a sewer or um, being swept up in a river Uh, Ratatouille also had incredibly complex lighting some frames had more than 230 rendered digital light sources yeah wow and then Coco, fast forward to Coco in 2017, that has a scene where we lay eyes on the land of the dead and there's over 8 million lights in that single scene. So, like, going from even 230 being really complicated to, like, managing to have 8 million lights play off a character's face uh, goes to oh, show fuck how... fuck do we even have 8 come. million lights? Right. Uh, and then finally, I guess that takes us through to, to 2019. So there's Toy Story 4. Uh, and... I think what's really interesting about this is you can see little bits and pieces of all of these films in this film as it exists today. So right. like things like um, there's a lot of scenes with rain in this film. Like it opens with rain, I think, and it's some of the most photorealistic looking rain that I've ever yeah, seen animated in a movie. Um, so that was from Ratatouille and Finding Nemo. Like there's cats and stuffed toys that look real. Um, and that's the fur technology from like Monsters Inc. and University. Um, We're commenting as well on like Bonnie, the child character's uh, hair in this film looks real. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, and, uh, you know, even if you go back and watch the footage of Sid's dog from Toy Story 1, it's very clear that that is a flat texture with some lines drawn on it. Like it's uh, not right. fur. 
uh, there's no yeah it's just a smooth surface that they've kind of drawn a texture onto that's interesting um yeah so like the the last thing that i found really interesting about that was that um they used the their technology from cars and working with like really reflective metal surfaces to uh perfect Bo Peep ceramic surface and they combine that with yeah. um, a lot of study of female lead glamour lighting from films from the 30s through to the 60s, like Casablanca. That's so cool. she's got this really strong, like, um, bell, I guess. Well, I don't know what that lighting specifically is called other than, like, glamour. Yeah, but, I, um, I know what you mean. Yeah, she's got that really perfect glow from that era. And she's ceramic. Yeah. Um, so, they, they yeah, it's I, I guess it's just combining their, like... Tonal ingenuity. So um, she has that sort of like perfect Marilyn Monroe, Judy Garland looking. Yeah, look yeah. To her. And then there's like this gross technological aspect to that where they were like, right, we can't use any square light sources because they look shit on the ceramics. So every <laughs> light source in this shop has to be round. <laughs> and it is. Every single light source in that I've toy never shop seen a is square is round. light source, but sure. Yeah, well, I mean, but not just th- like a window is a square light source. Okay, fine. Um, but yeah, so they needed to 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 like <laughs> kind of do a lot of experimenting and get the tone right. And it's funny how when you start to deconstruct these films, how much they have to think about every single detail in order to yeah, it's kind of crazy. In order to to make something that feels so cohesive and just like simple, I think the Toy yeah. Story films have always felt very simple. And not in a bad way, of course. Like they've just felt I- extremely like a cohesive package, well, right? Just the way in which the the animation is so immersive, and I feel like if you go back and watch Toy Story One, uh, the animation looks kind of rat shit. But at the time, it looked incredible, and you could sort of suspend your disbelief a bit. And I yeah. think that maybe just the idea that they're sort of improving their animation technology with the times, so that people can continue to suspend their disbelief and just be lost in these worlds that they create does tremendous favours for their films mm. and means that you can sort of just be immersed in the story. And I think that, yeah, this film looks spectacular. You've got grass and it hair and real. rain. My and brain was struggling to... The the, the reason why I kind of went looking for stuff like this was because, yeah, my brain was struggling to interpret it as animated. Well, because I think the humans still look very cartoony. The proportions of them, yeah. yeah. It's similar to Inside Out. Yeah, exactly. And... Uh, I feel like maybe it's hard for me to look at something that has like Buzz Lightyear and Woody that I intuitively I know as cartoony kind of characters. So it's still got a ca- cartoony kind of look to it, but the individual details look like photorealistic. Almost. Yeah, it's like if almost these characters in did exist in the real world, yeah. that is exactly how they would look. Yeah, and so like even if you go back and look at Toy Story 1 screenshots, Bo Peep and Woody look to have the same texture. Right. But in this new film, you can tell that Woody's head is rubber with paint and you can tell that Bo Peep is porcelain or ceramic or something. Yeah. And it, it's it's used in even a different way. Like at one point, Woody gets his head squashed, which is something that <laughs> couldn't, couldn't happen to Bo Peep. And you become aware of that. Like, Oh, he's rubber. She's, yeah. He's got a hollow rubber head. Yeah. Whereas she's more fragile and breakable. Yeah. You know? Um, so, yeah, I think even the fact that it lets them explore, like, the character's physical vulnerabilities more because they have these animation techniques down, the animation actually allows them to storytell rather than the other way around. 
which that is, is really, really interesting. interesting. Yeah. I think that another really interesting thing that Pixar does very well is bring in a lot of very strong themes into into their films, some of which are overt and some of which you sort of have to sit and think about. And I, I think with every film with Pixar, you could probably very easily write on a whiteboard three dot points of like, they were said like, oh, this film has to be about growing up and this and this, for example. Right. Um, and then you can go through and be like, oh, that's why this character is this and that's why they've introduced this character and that's what this is doing. And you can really see that they've gone through and put a lot of effort into reinforcing those themes, both because that makes a good movie, but also because I think for a film that is half intended as a children's film, yeah. it's important to have that sort of shit. Like I watched a making... Makes of, it compelling for adults. Yeah, and I think I watched like a making of Sesame Street documentary this week. Because I don't know, I've just written off this whole had week. a fair bit of time. Yeah. yeah. Um and they were talking about how when Sesame Street first came out, there was a lot of innovation that happened around using entertainment as education and just the idea that you can have an an entertainment little cartoon or Sesame Street skit or whatever, and then they would work with child psychologists and educators to see what how right. they could work in those themes into those little skits. And you can then go back and watch all this Sesame Street and be like, oh, that's why that's there and that's why that's there. Right. And this is teaching emotional intelligence in regards to this issue. Yep. And this is teaching about these kinds of situations in life and how kids should react to that. Similarly, I think that Pixar does that very well. Um, so you could look at Toy Story 3, for example. And I think that something that they do very well is with Toy Story... I was impressed with Harry Potter, about Harry Potter books aged with their audience. And so by the time you get to the last Harry Potter book and the last Harry Potter movie, they were quite dark mm. and they were sort of dealing with a lot more emotional adult kind of issues. And we were talking about the Kingdom Hearts games are games that did not age with their audience and they were exactly the same kind of child- childish themes in every single big game. And it yeah. got to the point where like we waited for 10 years for the third game to and come out. And they should have made it. And the third game felt like a kid's game. Yeah, These Toy Story films do the aging with their audience thing very well i yep. think so I think if you so. think about like toy story 3 again spoilers for that but it, it finishes with andy giving his giving his toys away and going yep. to college which is literally where we were sort of at at the time we were sort of just starting uni going through uni at the time um and so that sort of deals with like growing up having to leave your childhood behind assuming new responsibilities, going out into the wider world. Mm. And then that's reflected in what the toys literally do. Like the toys literally have to go out into the wider world and see more of that. Um, and it was a Harry Potter effect also of, of like being able to map yourself onto the... Literally. The character and and um, and acknowledge what you've had to leave behind and what you've had to outgrow. Yeah. And how that is really painful, but also like... You know, you deal with it in a respectful way and you value those memories, but you can't hold on to them forever. Exactly. And I suppose that's what I was kind of reflecting on watching those other movies I talked about earlier in the episode and about how it sort of makes you think about what's going on in your own life in the way in which, like, Toy Story 4, I think, really fucks with you. Mm. And I think it's got a lot of dark, adult kind of themes. Not that they're necessarily sinister, but I literally just mean, like, I think there's a lot in there that adults are going to identify with and latch on to in terms of... A lot of themes I felt in this film about the responsibility of adulthood and having to adapt to new circumstances and major changes in life. There's a lot of sort of themes of anxiety and insecurity and instability in life that all the characters go through that 
um, sort of spread throughout the film and sort of had this film work out this cohesive message. And I've, I know I've been sort of monologuing for a bit, but I've, I'm really happy with the notes I've got here. Um, like Bonnie, the little kid character, even just on that level, she's going to kindergarten and she's really worried about that. But then you also got Woody, who used to be the favourite toy, and now he's no longer the favourite toy, and he's got all these other weird responsibilities, and he's in this new room with these new toys, and he has to be the leader for his old toys, but somehow be part of this new community, and he doesn't really know how he's going to have to deal with a situation where he's not the favourite any longer, and so he doesn't really know how to deal with that. And then you've got Forky, who's this little improvised spork with googly eyes that comes to life, because it's a toy now, and all the toys talk. And the spork with googly eyes is like, I'm trash. I just want to be a spork that gets thrown away. And so Forky's got this new role and responsibility that he has absolutely no interest in. And Forky spends most of the movie essentially trying to, like, not really kill himself, but, like, <laughs> throw trying himself to away. throw himself away yeah. because that's the old purpose that he still is trying to latch onto. And his whole life has taken a turn and he has this new purpose, this new direction he has to come to terms with. Mm. And I think, like, it, so, like, what it do you think really, about all that? It really goes <laughs> pretty deep on. Because Forky, while, while Forky is, has that character progression, boy, this is a deep dive on these these themes yeah while Forky has his own sense of character progression and needs to come <laughs> to terms with his responsibility based on what other people Analyzing perceive them. him to be rather than what he feels himself to be yeah he's also functioning as a philosophical question to Woody of what is your purpose and yeah. why are you motivated based on who you think you are who decides because your purpose Woody sees himself yeah. as, a, as a sort of parental figure to all of these kids. And the problem is, he keeps being made redundant as the kids grow older, which is exactly what happens to a parent. You have this intense purpose of keeping yeah. this thing alive and, and caring for it and making it grow in a positive way. And then it starts to be able to do that on its own. And there's this big vacuum left by that responsibility slowly evaporating. And yeah. a lot of people, I think, don't fill that. And that's when you get this moment, which was e even in something like Boyhood, where um, Patricia Arquette, I think, breaks down. Was it Patricia Arquette? I don't know. She, The mother in Boyhood breaks down because she's her, her, her last kid leaves, she's like, I'm not a mom goes anymore. to college, and she's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do anymore. All I've just turned around and I'm 50. What happened to my life? Yeah, well, and that's it's like, kind of Jesus Christ. That's a real moment that happens to heaps of people. And that's exactly the same hard-hitting feeling you get watching Toy Story Four, where Woody's like, "What the fuck am I supposed to do with my life?" Right, and people like, keep telling him, "It's not like you're making this about you. This isn't about you. Yeah. This is about you not being well." It it the only thing that is happening is you're making it about you because you can't let go of your own place in this process despite the fact that you are you know like he gets relegated to the closet at the start of the movie and he finds a way to make himself not be in the closet and be all about him. by sneaking out and taking yeah. care of um bonnie bonnie for her first day of kindergarten sneaking so into her backpack of, and stuff yeah yeah so he sort of forces himself to be in a position of of taking care of her and he does help and he is helpful but he wasn't necessary. He like 
he strong himself arm, into yeah, that situation. He strong arms himself into his old role. Exactly. When he should be trying to... And so the, the whole film, it's like this... It's the whole thesis of the film, and Bo Peep even says it in the trailer, sometimes change can be good. And mm. the whole film seems to be about that exact same issue that its whole audience as young adults and 20-somethings is probably going through right now, where they're sort of starting new careers, leaving home, going out into the world, changing relationships, whatever they're doing. And it's these sort of big adult problems they're going through, and it's reflected through all the characters in the film. It's not like we see ourselves in Andy or we see ourselves in Woody. You sort of see yourself in the whole world, I which think I think is an interesting contrast to something like I think the real like magic is Harry we Potter. used to see ourselves. Sorry. Yeah, well, that's it. I think it's an interesting contrast to something like Harry Potter, where you can say, yeah, we're aging and Harry Potter is aging. I am Harry Potter. Mm. But whereas this whole film... As, and a, these as, Toy a, Story, as a young white kid, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, but these Pixar films, it's like there's a little bit of that theme in everything in the world. And so you, you're like... You sort of... It's the same way as you, you watch a film that has that bittersweet moment in it that sort of makes you sad or makes you happy or whatever. Um, because you relate it to something. I feel like this everything in this film relates to whatever theme they latch onto. And the whole film kind of makes you think about that stuff. Mm. I think in in the first case, when this film first came out, so Toy Story 1 came out when we were one and two respectively, right? Yeah. I was one, you were two. <laughs> I did feel an association with Andy and some of the wonder of the film was, what are my toys doing while I'm not there? And that's right. the magic of the story. This time and maybe the last few times that I've watched it it I have felt far more empathy with Woody to an extent with Bo Peep with a bunch of the other characters even like with Forky I guess to an extent yeah um but a bunch of the other characters but no no empathy for this um for Kid. the child well a lot of empathy but that's not who I see myself as in this story anymore. Yeah. But it once was. And yeah. I think that's what they've done that's different to Harry Potter is, you're right, it's not just the one character that you are the whole time. As this series' audience has grown, it's adopted the, the children from that generation growing up because they can watch this and enjoy this story for its fun characters as well. But it's exploring these themes that the audience will be grappling with Absolutely. at this stage in and their th- life. And I think it's interesting that Toy Story 4 is one of the first films where you've seen the parents as main characters yeah, in the film that have, I, I definitely have problems got themselves. A, I got an inside-out vibe from the parents. Yeah. yeah. Like, you get... You go through sort of the pain and frustration that the parents are going through and trying to work out what's wrong with their kid and trying to sort of... The kid's having all these weird kid problems about, like, where's my spork toy? And the and parents like, are trying to be why parents. Why would I give a fuck about this spork toy? Yeah. But they have to because it's that entire world for that kid. Yeah. And so you get like, I, th- I feel like watching this film, you get a lot of like looking at the kid character and sort of seeing a bit of your past self. Mm. And then you sort of get a bit of your sort of current self from the main toys. And you sort of see, for me personally, you're sort of, f- you get a bit of a hint of your future self with the parents. And, I feel like the parents are included as part of that whole aging audience thing as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I guess is, like it felt a lot darker than I thought I was expecting. There was some it to really be. dark themes. It was really funny. I, specifically, I think, um, like I mean, there are th- there are like threatening themes and there are like mature themes. And I think the threatening themes come from. Well, let's 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 give a brief overview of the the storyline in a spoiler free sense. Okay, I'll I'll give it a shot. And uh, then we can explore how, like, some of the some of the themes are split between like 
existential, like threatening themes. Yeah. And then like yeah, Scary ones that are, stuff. ones that yeah. we've we've just been talking about a little more, which is like maturing themes. All right. Yeah. Um. Well, so so the the main crux of the movie is it's that a flash is back. The film begins with it fl- flashing back to Andy as a kid. And you sort of see Woody trying to save a lost toy that's been left out in the rain when Andy had to go inside for dinner or whatever. That was a cool scene. Yeah, it was cool. And you see... Um, it's his no toy left behind ever no, Yeah, no toy ever left behind. And it's sort of everyone risks everything and Slinky mm. stretches to breaking point to get the RC car back from washing away in the gutter. And um, it's a nice starting point for the sort of the main theme of the film um, of Woody having this strong sense of responsibility in the toy group. And having this core, he's like a key member of the group, and everyone and he loves self Woody. defines as a toy. And the idea of a toy without a kid is a great tragedy to him. It's yeah. like you you must have a child. A lost toy is the worst state that he a doesn't toy want to let this in. toy wash away in the gutter because then it'll be lost. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, uh, it sets up the idea that we never really saw. I think because Bo, Bo Peep. Uh, it was a character in number one and two. It didn't really come back for three. So it brings Bo Peep back into the equation. Mm. Bo Peep, it sort of reminds us that Woody and Bo Peep were sort of had this rom- romance, this sort of affection for each other. And we see the scene where Bo Peep is donated to another family yep. and taken away just suddenly out of nowhere. And it really hits Woody hard and it makes him really sad because Bo Peep was his girl. Um, and then it cuts forward to whenever it is. And, the, the world after Toy Story 3, and he's grown up, he's in college, the toys are now Bonnie. Bonnie yeah, so toys. at the end of Toy Story 3, one of the things that we felt tied it all up was that Andy finally donates his toys to someone else. Yeah. It's this young kid called Bonnie. Bonnie. Bonnie is now the main kid character in the movie. Right. So, so Andy um, is not in this movie. Exactly. So Woody and Buzz and the whole fucking gang belong to this little girl, Bonnie, who is starting kindergarten. Um... We see some kindergarten stuff. We see, like, oh, Bonnie has her favorite toys. Woody's not the favorite toy. She loves Jesse. She loves fucking Buzz. It doesn't matter. She doesn't love Woody. There's a whole fucking emotional problem with that. Mm. Woody tags along to kindergarten. Um, and then they go on a family holiday. And so the kindergarten stuff is quite... I think it's really just used as a setup of, like, a anxiety it's Woody's and parenting. Big, big yeah. changes in life and Woody trying to find a way to make himself useful. Right. Um, they go on a RV road trip, Bonnie and her parents, and Bonnie brings all her toys along, and they go on a road trip and to... And Bonnie's made this toy, right. Sporky, Bonnie in, felt, in kindergarten. Bonnie felt lonely in kindergarten, so she made like a spork with pipe cleaner arms and paddle pop legs um, and googly eyes and plasticine, so it dumb fucking kid thing, and this little spork thing comes to life. Mm. And they all hate the spork. The spork doesn't want to be there, but Bonnie loves the spork, so they all, or Woody specifically makes it his responsibility, decides that it's his responsibility to make sure the spork doesn't throw himself away right. on this trip. Um, they go on a family trip, this RV trip to the middle of fucking nowhere. There's this antique store that Woody passes by while he's trying to catch Sporky from throwing himself away again. Um, and he sees Bo Peep's lamp in the window. Pa-ping. Cue the whole story. Yeah, Woody meets all his lost toys in this... RV park. He reunites with Bo Peep, which I feel like isn't really a spoiler because it's in the trailer. Bo Peep has now been sort of living out on her own as a lost toy for sort of seven years or so. Yep. And Woody meets all these lost toys in the RV park. Because um, Bo up- Peep was 
Andy's sister's toy. Yeah, And exactly. so she ended up giving her away at some random point, which is why she sort of faded out of the series. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and so the movie really focuses on ever- Woody looking for the fucking Spork thing and reuniting with Bo Peep and meeting all the lost toys. Meanwhile, all the other toys back in the RV are looking for Woody. And they all sort of get split up and they have a big fucking adventure and that's the movie. Yeah. There's a carnival. There's these big set pieces. It's a good time. Um, but that's essentially the film, is Woody reuniting with Bo Peep and getting lost and going up to all the antics and sort of hijinks that happen throughout the film that prevent Woody from bringing Forky back to the RV, to the family, before the family leaves to the next destination on the hall. Right. And I feel like another thing that um, plays a core point in every one of these movies, so in the first Toy Story, it's Buzz is Buzz is the antagonist in a way, right? Because Woody is the one who's in charge of the established order. Buzz Woody's comes a bit in. Of a dick. He's a new favorite toy. <laughs> yeah, and it's about really the story of the first one is about Woody accepting that he doesn't have to always be top dog, that he needs to be accepting. He doesn't always have to be Andy's favorite toy. There can be more than one favorite, and that's probably and a, it can be Buzz as well. That's right? probably a good lesson for a small child. Yeah, Just exactly. it's not always about you. It can be. You have to share. You other have people to. Too. Yeah, yeah, right. The second one brings in the entire crew with Jesse, uh, Stinky Pete the Prospector, uh, Bullseye the Horse, Bullseye, and it also Al, this toy collector, and it's sort of a cautionary tale, I feel. I haven't thought about this much, but I, I feel like Al plays this cautionary tale against adults who don't let go of their childhood I think fixations. I I, I and what the purpose of toys... It, it's a critical examination of what the purpose of toys are in that, um, you know, uh, Woody feels like toys are there to be... to entertain children and to have kids and to be played with and yeah. to give joy that way. Well, and it's his... He kind of isn't willing to let go of that ideal and he actually tries to kind of persuade these collector's item toys to come over to his way of thinking... And, like, be okay with being taken out of their box and fucked around with. Mm. And, in a way, Stinky Pete is the evil dude in that because he wants them to go to a museum and never be played with. And so, I I, saw, I don't remember where I read this, but I read this recently when I was diving down the Toy Story rabbit mm. hole where they said that, like, Toy Story 2 kind of asked the question of Woody, like, he can live forever behind glass and sort of never fulfill his life's purpose but he'll live forever. Right, that's or, right, because you won't get damaged by being played with. Right. He's yeah. just going to be in a museum behind glass and be perfect and immortal. Yeah. But sort of the trade-off is that he never really gets to be a toy. Yeah. Or he can take a chance and he can go out on a limb and he can sort of take a few risks and actually do what it is that he wants to do with his life, which is be played with and be around kids and sort of make people ha- make people happy in that way. Mm. Um, which I think Floyd is an interesting kind of... Um, kind of links back to that oh, from yeah? Wish You Were Here, which is, um, did you exchange a, a walk-on part in a war, war for a lead role in a cage? I think that's yeah. really interesting. Uh, yeah, that is, that's a really interesting dynamic of like, will you... you, uh, if, you if we assume that your purpose... If if we assume that you've correctly kind of gathered your purpose, would you give that purpose up 
just to be safe and for arguable immortality. Is yeah. immortality worth the expensive experience? Or just like I in, in terms of relating it back to a child's a moral you can like or a child's life of someone that's watching it. It's like is it better to sort of be safe and not really do anything or take a few risks right. and actually accomplish right. something? Even though um, that might cost you parts of yourself. Yeah, right. Mm. Um and I think it all kind of links together and brings up to this natural progression where um yeah, a lot of the movie is uh, forky, this little fucking spork thing, um, doesn't want to be a toy and doesn't understand the idea of why he's even a toy. He just wants to be trash. He's a spork. And it sort of brings up this whole like Toy Story meta universe where like it's like if all the toys are alive and they want to be toys and all the trash is alive and it wants to be trash, like what else happens in the Toy well, Story and, universe? And I feel like... I I, I want to just run through what the Toy Story 3 antagonist arc was because I'm kind of curious about how this let's film has a different antagonist Let's see if we can do it. it. But so the antagonist Sporky, arc... Sp- Sp- Forky is an interesting character because he's the first toy that we see be made. Yeah. And it's sort of like whatever a toy is, because Woody's definition of a toy is like, you're a toy, you come out of a box, you get played with, you get donated to a different kid... They play with you. Like, it's like toys are made to be played with. Yeah. And then this idea of, like, well, what what actually... I mean, it's a very, like, flat existential <laughs> question of, like, what is a toy? <laughs> but, like... That's the least woke discussion. <laughs> a toy is a toy because it was made with the intention of being played with. It's yeah. not a toy because a company made it, you know? So, like... But you imprinting your definition of what that is onto that thing doesn't mean that it's going to agree with you, right? In in As illustrated by Forky's tendency to just want to be what he was originally meant to be, which yeah. was trash. To eat food and then be thrown away. He keeps trying to run away and throw himself in the bin, and that's most of the story. Is like, yeah. Woody being like, where the fuck's Forky? We've got to go Forky. Well, it's Bonnie, the kid's going to have a meltdown if he doesn't lose, if he doesn't have Forky. It's the first part, but I feel like the, 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 um, the next part of that like philosophical question that uh, Forky poses to Woody of like, what's your purpose as a sort of toy slash parent is how do you communicate that to someone who doesn't really know what they're meant to be doing because they end up having this conversation after Woody jumps out of the RV to try and rescue him. Yeah. And Woody says, he starts asking instead of just forcing and restricting Forky, which is very much representative like, of parenting why styles. Do you, why do you want to be Why do you want to do that? Exactly. And, and Forky basically says, it's comfortable. That's Trash is good. It's warm. It's what I like. And Woody, it kind of clicks for him and he's like, well, that's, you are that for Bonnie. You give comfort and warmth and joy to Bonnie, but he speaks mm. Forky's language by saying, "Like you are trash. You're, for you're Bonnie. trash for Bonnie, exactly." <laughs> and he's like, "Oh well, then I have to go and be with her because she can't not feel that comfort." Yeah. And all of a sudden, he kind of gets it too. So I feel like it's an exercise in like, and I th- it teaches Woody to to have like insight and empathy and put yourself in like to solve your problem through another person's framework of their ideas, yeah. which is actually a really complicated <laughs> it's, situation, it's cool. but it's done with like a fucking spork yeah. on screen. It's very interesting. And then I think it's interesting that it's then, it's right around that time that Woody has his own personal crisis about like, should I try and find Bo or should I go back to my kid? Right. Um, and it's spork, it's forky. It's like, we should go back to the kid. What are you yeah, doing? Yeah, they've swapped all of a and sudden. And they, they swap. Yeah. Um, so, Toy Story 3, the main antagonist is that purple bear. Yeah, right? the fucking hug, Which hugs the bear actually or isn't particularly memorable, I feel. Yeah. I, I, I don't remember what it is. Um, is it Ken? 
No, no, Ken's a fucking Barbie He has doll. some fucking name like Snuggles or whatever. Anyway, do you um, remember off the top of your head what his like idea is? was? Um, because I'm struggling. No, I don't. Um, hold on. So they get lost, right? The the group of toys get lost and they find their way to a daycare, right? Which I guess is kind of like a way of giving toys kids without them actually belonging to those kids. So it's sort of like a pseudo relationship. Uh, Lotso is the bear's name. Yeah. Lotso Huggin Bear. So Lotso, like, wants the toys to stay at the daycare instead of going to... They, they want to get back to Andy. I think they get accidentally donated to the daycare... Um, and they want to get back to Andy before Andy goes to college. So the thesis of it is that Lotso does that because he relies on the new recruits to save him and his people from the preschoolers because there's different rooms and the new toys go in with the preschoolers and the old toys are treated gently. Right. So if there's no new toys, then the old toys go into the preschooler's room. But what's the fucking metaphorical... <laughs> like, <laughs> How do we break that? Toy Story 3 yeah. as well? I'm just interested because, again, they've changed the antagonist formula significantly in every single one of these movies. And I could speak to four much easier than I could speak to this movie. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't get stuck on uh, sure. the, the, the meta-analysis of <laughs> what what morals they're trying to give us in each but thing. But then I in, in four, because the, 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 w- I, I just feel like in the in your summation of it, you did a really good job, but you left out the main antagonist arc of what happens in the shop when Woody goes in there, right? Which is that we meet this uh, doll from the 50s who's actually from the exact same era that Woody is from. That was kind of a, a surprise when we yeah. found out that Woody was Woody's made from in like 1950. So Andy's been playing and with this fucking antique. it's like a throwaway line. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought that was really cool. So well, I suppose it's from, it's from the time when like cowboys were cool and then Buzz, then he's replaced with a space toy when kids no longer cared about cowboys. And you see that whole monologue with Stinky Pete in the second one. Yeah. He's like, oh, then no one cared about cowboys anymore and people cared about space toys. Right. Um, so with like the moon landing in that. Gabby Gabby, and it was Christina Hendricks. It was Christina Hendricks, sorry, that, oh, that voices Gabby Gabby, um, is this doll from the 50s. Uh, and she's sort of like, a, I don't know what the modern day equivalent is, one of those like toddler-sized dolls that... Old school, kind of like tea time... Uh, dolls right. that you imagine like a kid from the 50s playing sitting with. down and having tea yeah a t- sort of doll a, a that has a painted made up with. face and uh, outfits and st- I, I don't right. know enough about it I don't and know. so she her, it looks like a fancy ass old school doll her voice box her she has a pull string as well as Woody does but hers is broken and all this, to her if she can fix that she will be able to attract the attention of this young girl in the shop, she doesn't like the fact that she's and, and therefore become, have a kid. Will have this adopted. perfect experience, yeah. Because she actually ends up saying at one point to Woody, like, "You have had, you've done, so you've had so many perfect moments with with multiple kids. You've like managed to fulfill your life goal. I just want one of those multiple times. If I could have one of those, I would feel completely fulfilled. Yeah. But she doesn't know what that actually entails. So it's this like hollow, un- unknowing pursuit of a, of a dream. Well, it's the same thing. It's like what she thinks her purpose ought to be. Right. Without actually knowing what that 
means when it happens. There's like a kid that comes into the antique store every day and she thinks that because she's broken, the kid won't want her. Right. And that if she can sort of make herself perfect and model herself and change herself... And be as she once was. I suppose so, yeah. yeah. Like, exactly. Like, go back to how she once was originally, then the kid will love her. Right. And I feel like... We, it's not going to get too hard, hard into spoilers, but essentially she tries to... Her, like, evil plan is to, like, steal Woody's voice box, sew it into herself. Yeah, she asks him for it, basically. She, yeah. She, like, says, you've had yours... Let me take your yeah. box, and she's she, got like um she's got a little record like disc. The creepiest fucking Jesus uh, Christ ventriloquist mannequins that look like the front cover of that Goosebumps book. Yeah, um, <laughs> they're like classic ventriloquist. Absolutely dummies, terrifying. Yeah. There was a couple scenes in this movie that were not just terrifying because I'm an adult and I have like existential questions, but they were like terrifying for kids. You could you like, could fuck. hear how much the cinema that we were in fucking hated those dolls they were like, so scary the man. way that like, they moved the, was the woman so the grown creepy. woman next to me was like oh fuck 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 <laughs> yeah like and so was i yeah. like, it, it was really really creepy and like all the other all the other toys that should have no business talking talk and when these fucking things talk they're just like frankenstein's monster ass like yeah because i guess they're always meant to be talked for right yeah yeah these um, creepy I thought that ass was like dead voices interesting fuck, too man. um we should so, skip on i yeah. think to the lighter side of the movie in that i think unless you've got something else no. i think this is one of the funniest Toy Story movies to date. Yeah. It was so funny. I reckon it, it might be the second best one. I reckon after Toy Story 1, this might be the one that I enjoyed the I think next. if I went back and watched Toy Story 1 now, I wouldn't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed 4. I really like 4. I think it's my favorite. Yeah, it would be hard to tease out whether or not that was because I've seen 1 so many times and I've only seen 4 once, but I could definitely be swayed around to this one being the best in the series, which I... Never would have thought never, that. No, would even never. consider. I think it was my favorite. I I yeah. liked. It was very very good. It was very good. All the characters are really funny. All of Bonnie's new toys. I feel like they know that we don't give a fuck as much about them, so they get like little parts where they need to, and they have mm. funny lines where they need to, but they never really intrude. Or a core gang of like Slinky and Rex and Potato Head and Buzz and Woody and Jesse and that. Um, it's oh man, it's so good. Key and Peel play a carnival prize. That's a very a modern comedic duo in, in terms of Toy Story. Really good. Yeah. Uh, well, so they play like a, a carnival prize. That's a fluffy duck and a fluffy bunny that are sewn together. Uh, to Attached by one hand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there's so many. Um, Key. I watched an interview with. Uh, Keegan Michael Key. <laughs> yeah, Keegan Michael Key. Right. Uh, if if yeah. your last name's Key. D- yeah. Fuck it. Fuck me. Um, <laughs> Fuck your parents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, they were allowed to improvise together a little bit. Right. And it feels like the best way to get them, yeah, get good exactly. material out and of them. Often these movies are recorded with characters in completely separate uh, takes. They're never together for the line reads. Yeah, that was but real hard to learn. Yeah. Like most animated lines, most lines in animated films... The actors are never in the same room. Yeah, like and when I, I watched like an interview where like Tom Hanks will be like, uh, "But Buzz, but Buzz, 
but buzz, but buzz. And he he did it like 10, he did it 10 different ways. Every possible way you could have done it. Right. And then they just stitched and together. Just stitched it's it like together choose later. your own adventure style, build this dialogue. Yeah, for this exactly. Movie. It's really weird. Yeah. it's <laughs> Well, I watched it with Mark Hamill because right now that Chucky remake is coming oh, yeah, out. The horror yeah, yeah. where Mark Hamill voices the creepy doll that comes to life. Mm. And, it's nice and turns evil at some point. And so this Mark Hamill said like for most of the lines, he would record the lines all good, all evil, and somewhere in the middle. So right, like, so they could cut it at any point. And now is it time for playtime? And, and now is it time for playtime? And then he'd do ones where it's like, <laughs> and now is it time for playtime? <laughs> right, and, so if that's the moment they choose to Literally cut. to the point where like he'll be like, all right, I'm going to make it evil on the third word, evil on the seventh word, and like it really fucking kills the magic for you a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it does. But it's yeah. also also makes it kind of like incredible how the editing is in all these where like they have to like stitch together a coherent narrative out of all the audio yeah yep i think it's it's very impressive job done by those people because uh, it feels so natural yeah. yeah um keanu reeves is so funny in this movie it's really good yeah. um it's a little bit of a cheap character but i think maybe just simple and really charming I think that I would have loved it if it wasn't Keanu Reeves. I think it definitely helps that I knew it was yeah. Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Because he's having a bit of a moment at the moment. He is. What a resurgence. Um, what a comeback. We love a glow up. Oh, yeah. I, I liked all of the characters. I think that uh, the Jordan Peele, King Michael Key, uh, King and Michael Key uh, character was my favorite. Absolutely. Right. That was that so funny. Um, but I, th- <laughs> I think that just all in all, it was really great. And really funny, and I feel like I don't have enough examples to have my how funny was this movie chat going for very much longer. Right, yeah, it was really good. Um, I you should see this if you've yeah if you enjoyed the first three, which like honestly, who didn't really? Yeah, exactly. Um, well, it's it's you shouldn't have the anxiety we had where it was like oh, four really. You're gonna like flog this dead horse? It's yeah, like, I was no, so worried. I I've I think it's my favorite of the whole series. Yep. It's it's easily the best. It has the same kind of like happy sad emotional moments that Toy Story 3 does. I think where it does that very well. I think it's not to spoil anything. It's a Pixar movie. They're going to try and make you cry. Whatever. Mm. But like I think it's like it's not it doesn't feel cheap at all. No. It feels like it's really a labor of love. I actually felt myself choking up even in the first like 5 minutes because the way that they constructed the relationship between Woody and Bo Peep felt so genuine. Absolutely. That I was upset when they don't well, Bo Peep got done. Right. And yeah. it was like, well this is we're like ten minutes in. What the what the hell is this movie gonna be like? Yeah, Should it was really upsetting because usually that's the big guns for the end of the movie. Absolutely. Should we talk about Bo Peep? How good was Bo Peep's character? Uh, even, really excellent. Even just as like a a summation and like a perfect uh, summary of the whole thesis of the film, which is like adapting to change in life. And like making the best out of bad situations, and like never getting fixated on what you think your purpose is in life, being willing to adapt and change, and like shift your goals right. to be a better person. I, I feel Peep, like we almost need to be able to talk about spoilers to properly discuss maybe yeah Bo Peep's character. I think it's a it's a bit in the trailer, but maybe we should wrap up our discussion, yeah. our review of the film. Then um, I think I, you're right. I'm keen to talk about. Yeah, it. Okay. Yeah, okay. I, I think that. So to wrap up our review of the film, I think absolutely go see it. Yeah. Before we get into spoilers, I think that it's my favorite of the series. Um, without being able to think off the top of my head, I can't think of any other Pixar movies that I've. If it wasn't my favorite in terms of like a better than worse, then I think it's definitely better than. Uh, 
most other Pixar movies I've seen, it would only maybe be worse than Toy Story 3 if you caught me on a bad day. Like, I, I think that, like, it's my favorite. Eh? Right. Uh, yeah, I reckon it would be maybe worse than Inside Out. You liked I Inside really Out that much. I really liked Inside Out. I, I'd say it didn't really... Inside Out didn't really stay with me as much as I think this will. Uh, I think it just really, yeah... It just really clicked. I really liked the way that it conceptualized emotions. I thought it was a a, a, a moment of genius in sort of kids' movies. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there are parts of this that were equally as good. So... Um, I think it's yeah. one of the best movies they've ever done. Yeah, it really Brilliant. would be. And it's crazy that this this is the fourth in a series. It also feels like it couldn't have happened if they didn't have the time and context to establish these characters beforehand. Yeah. So it does feel a bit daring because it's like we're not just recycling these characters to... Um, do another movie. To do a nut, to, to wring more out of this cloth. It's yeah. actually that we needed the first three to have happened to in order the story. To, to have these characters with this meaning. And exactly. You, and you can sort story. of see what they mean about, like, it, they had the idea for this story before they did three. Yeah, they had to have. Yeah. It's like, or, it, that's that's not even like, a, I don't think, I'm not even seeing that really as like a cynical Marvel, they plan three movies ahead thing, even if it was. I think like, they just, it's it like, felt, yeah, it felt like they had this story to tell. As soon as you t- hear what the story and how this movie kind of ends, I feel like you're like, oh, of course, they needed to tell it. Right. They needed to tell that story. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I think they could have just left it, but it certainly didn't feel tacked on it it felt no. like a meaningful continuation of these characters that we cared about exactly. which is crazy because I thought that they had done that last time so I think this is our spoiler warning if you yeah. want to see Toy Story 4 which I absolutely think you should I think we're probably only going to be able to rant and rave about Toy Story for another sort of 20 minutes or so you're not, you're not going to miss very much yeah. um, here's your spoiler warning if you haven't seen it fuck off <laughs> yeah. um, piss off <laughs> go on go on get go and see this damn me. movie uh, yeah um, alright here we go yeah so the the movie so, kind of... Then so Bo Peep's yeah, character, you were talking about Bo Peep's character, right? And I think that the the real thesis, as you said, of, of Bo Peep's character, uh, I, I won't repeat what you said, I think you summed it up really nicely, but how that manifests is that she, Woody realizes that she is a lost toy, but she's choosing to be one, and she stays one. And she's also the least likely character that you think to do that. She's the most fragile. Literally stereotypical. Yeah, right? po- yeah. She's made from made, porcelain. Made of porcelain. And she's, she's broken her arm and it's taped back up again. And she's stereo- stereotypically speaking the most feminine of the characters yeah, that you have. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, in, they tear the sleeves off so it's the we can do it thing, but yeah. Yeah, well, she's like the most stereotypically feminine of all the toys mm. other than... Well, no, I'll stick with that. I'll stick with that. Whatever. The sentiment of what I'm saying, though, I, I get what you is mean. That yeah. It's very feminine. A character, character that has made the best of what is like the most compromising circumstances the character could possibly mm. be in. It's like of all the characters that you think would be absolutely fucked if they were lost and cast out into the just the middle of fuck nowhere, a park, yep. under a bush. Bo Peep has managed to come through this compromising situation. At the top. Yeah. And she's managed to adapt and overcome. Yeah, I think just a, one of my favorite representations of like female resilience that Absolutely. I've ever seen on screen. A really great. A really great character. Mm. And I think I was... It's, it's a very empowering character. I think just speaking as like a human rather than as yeah, like a... Yeah, it felt like it. I, I hope also like that... that Women that watch this movie felt that way as well. I hope so. I think it's um, a. Re- I think it's a. Re- talking as a white dude, I think it's a really. I think it was a really great female character. Yeah. I think it felt. She felt really strong and really empowered, and she felt like she had the upper hand on Woody 
all, all the, the time. time. Uh, that's which what I, I was just going to say. Get. No, I felt like her relationship to Woody was that she was, um, at times, genuinely frustrated by how, f- like how f- deeply flawed he was as as a person, and like how naive and as he a man. Is, yeah, exactly. It's almost like if you've ever met someone after they've been away for a few years, and you come back, and they've and one of you's grown yeah. way more than the other, and you sort of look and you're like, oh, you're still there. You're still doing the same shit, really. You're still like, you're yeah. still back at that point. And I guess like his, it's funny looking at this film in the context of the other ones because Woody's qualities have always been. You know, he says at one point, like, loyalty. I'm loyal. And that's a very, I think, like, masculine... Or at least the way that it manifests, like, he's a cowboy. Yeah, you know? and it's also a very sort of one-dimensional quality for him to have. It is, and it's and not always by. particularly useful. And she just sort exactly. of sees right through it. She's like, you know, uh, he's like, I'm loyal. And she's like, you're just... You're being selfish and stubborn. Yeah. Like, yeah, maybe you are being loyal, but is that a good thing at this point in time. Well, it's kind of the first character to just be like, Woody, what do you mean? this stuff you always do, you've got to look at what the effect of that is. Yeah. You can't just stick to your principle regardless of what that principle and is and what the context of it there's is. There's a bit right at the end it's where, really and I think good. several times in the movie, uh, something happens, there's some problem, and the characters are like, all right, we've just got to fucking pack it in because yeah. we're fucked. And Woody's like, no, we have to go back because no toy gets left behind and Willie will always go back because he's better than everyone else and his ethics and moral principles are a lot stronger than everyone else's and they might give up but he doesn't. Right. And it gets to like the third time and Bo's just like, Woody, just fucking give up. Yeah, you're pack making, it in, you're Woody. Ma- you're not better than us. You're making this about yourself. Yeah. You don't care about Forky who's lost or whatever. You're just trying to make it about you so you have something to accomplish. Yeah, well, he wants he wants to be a great toy for Bonnie. And to him, if Bonnie's unhappy, he personally has failed. Yeah. And he can't accept that failure and therefore has to do everything he possibly can and never leave any toy behind or whatever so that Bonnie always has all her toys and it's always perfect. And that yeah. comes at the expense often of those toys... And he's blind to that. Well, this this film is so perfectly suited to the, what I was talking about earlier about like sometimes what you're going for in terms of like oh I have to have the perfect outcome out of every situation isn't what life's about. You have to accept that like sometimes the perfect outcome is an imperfect outcome. Yeah. Where like shit happens, man, and you just can't you can't fix everything. And you have to you're a better person and you're a stronger person for growing and accepting that like you can't fix everything. Right. And some shit just happens. And you I, can't you can't stop it. You I can't thought prevent the way it. You that you just have to keep going. Exactly. And uh, the way that uh, Woody's voice box or Woody's pull string represented that I felt because I assumed that was going to be another one of those things where he you think it's going to happen, you think it's going to happen, you think it's going to happen, but you know it's really not actually ever going right. to happen. Right? How fucked was that? It actually gets pulled out of him. He actually sacrifices his ability to do that iconic thing. Yeah. Like, Woody can't say, "There's a snake in my boot anymore." Well, you're my favorite deputy. He yeah. can't do that, which means that a human he can't speak to people. So. A, a human now will never be able to hear Woody's voice ever again. Yeah, the one thing he defined himself by right. as being like, you got to be there for the kid, you got to make the kid happy. It's like he's kind of compromised himself there. That was absolutely wild and really heavy. Yeah, so and, when and the and evil it, doll finally takes Woody's voice box and stitches him back up, so, so she, then his, his, she, he gives it up. 
yeah. he makes a, a, a choice she kind of, not to fight. She kind of emotionally fight. manipulates him, man. It's this really weird situation. Yeah, it's, it's where very complicated. But it, at the end, he's basically has it's, no it's, choice, it's but really still fucked, volunteers man. it. Yeah, she kind of like. I don't know. He not says, really like, gaslights him, but like, she gets all this emotional blackmail material from Forky, yeah. and then like says exactly what she reckons Woody needs to hear to completely break Woody's spirit and completely just convince him of his own volition. And in the end, what he says away is basically like, "Just make sure that everyone else gets out of here just fine." Woody fucking gives up. How dark yeah. is that? As a kid's film, like fully to, gives to watch up. Woody. Woody is just completely emotionally defeated. Yeah, and, and it's he, not like he lets go and he's unsure what's going to happen. He knows exactly what will happen, and he he knowingly gives up. It's like it's, he packs it in. It's like the kids' film version of watching a character just accept that they're going to die, and just sit down in front of the machine gun and be like, "Fucking shoot me!" It's not even like going to die. It's like if. He's just giving up his dream completely. Giving up a... Yeah, it's like... It would be like an athlete having to give up a kidney and they're like, this is for someone who might go on to have this amazing life. You're not really going to know that, uh, but it's definitely going to take away your dreams. And he's just like, I am too tired to fight anymore. Just do it. And then you see the the heart... The end of the movie is Woody with... He doesn't have his pull string. He's got a stitched up patchwork... So like scar, a scar on his back. And what happens is she... Oh, fuck, so man. This movie... <laughs> Gabby Gabby, who ha- has that chance and she pulls the string and she uses her disc so she makes her... She says her I'm thing Gabby finally. Gabby Gabby and I... Whatever, yeah. And this child picks her up and then throws her away and just says like, nah, I don't really want to play with that. Not it's really so thing. careless. And it's this... And, and it's yeah. like heartbreaking because that, that was her... She's believed that will work and believed that is the gateway to her perfect dream for the last like six decades and it's like woody's sacrifice is for nothing yeah exactly this, no one wins this plan that this doll has been working on for six decades like i have to make myself perfect and fix myself and fuck everyone else over in order to do that right in order to achieve my goal that doesn't work and then also interestingly when the doll when gabby gabby finally gets a kid at the end of the movie she didn't need to use the pull string to get it. No, they roll they a baseball. Just roll a baseball yeah. over. The kid looks at the baseball, sees Gabby Gabby, and picks her up. Yeah. Because I thought they were going to do that. I thought she was going to finally use the thing, but she doesn't need it anyway. So it, it yeah. was sort of still in vain. You know, it was sort of still her selfishness that led to Woody. Like she's going to permanently have had that effect on Woody. Maybe it was for character growth, but it wasn't. I mean, it didn't serve the intended purpose, which yeah, I think I mean, is something that Toy Story even hasn't really done very much before. I mean, within the film, it was brilliant character growth, absolutely. Yeah, really. And it was really another like, like another fucked moral. To it's give, sort of like a Chekhov's a gun that never goes off. You know what I mean? Like yeah. or a, a Chekhov's gun where it's not used to shoot anyone. Yeah. It's like yeah, we set it up, and yeah, like it gets it's involved, but it doesn't work how you think it's going to work, and it doesn't work how the characters think it's going to work. Put your gun down, check off. We don't need you. Right, exactly. Like this isn't a gun situation anymore, and it kind of never was. It's yeah. really, really good storytelling. So then it winds up finally. <laughs> check off. That's with not a gun. That's growing up. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that it finally winds up with all of the toys getting back to the RV, including Woody. And with like a great sequence where it's it's had this running narrative the whole time. I really like the let's get the dad to go to jail thing as a way <laughs> to stall time. And then like they construct this really elaborate narrative where like he ends up driving and they're fucking with the car. So the cops are behind him and you think like, 
is he actually gonna <laughs> go to jail? Like, and all it's the shit really that this good. movie had done already. Like, they'd like, like watch. How did they fit that in? Fuck man, it's, I thought yeah. I thought that he legitimately was going to go it's, to jail. It could have happened because they this film had watched like we completely break Woody's spirit and tell children to give up on their life's ambitions. Right. And I thought like, I mean, it's not what they did, but whatever. Um, and then like they'll be like, "Fuck!" If Bonnie's dad goes to prison at the expense of like Woody's <laughs> Woody trying to get his like little dream thing to happen. <laughs> that would be so, so good. Funny. But yeah, like the way that they constructed that was very funny. So that's like the final moments of the film. They're stalled for ages. All of the toys are there. It's this reunion similar to the ending of Toy Story 3, I guess, where the crew is back together. They're about to keep going on this journey. And and I guess... It's all about the friendship between Buzz and Woody. There hasn't been a lot of Buzz and Woody action in this film the whole time. Buzz is barely in it. Yeah, they're sort of separate. And he... There's this key theme between those two of like Buzz... Kind of Woody always being like, I just use initiative and act on my conscience, and that's what that's how I navigate the world. And Buzz being like, I don't know what that is. How do I do that? And kind of like learning to. So he initially like very cleverly uses the thing that you've known that he can do the whole time, which is press the buttons on his chest and say something aloud. Yeah. But he sort of and initially he presses it and listens to whatever it says and interprets it in a way that's beneficial to the situation it's fortunately usually the right thing to do anyway but then reaches a point where he presses it a bunch of different times because it's not telling him what he actually wants to do yeah and then finally he he agrees with it or agrees to do what it's saying despite what he thinks so it's sort of like it still is an overriding of like his like internal voice which arguably is a choice that he makes, so it's really complicated. You sort of watch Buzz like, w- like will. Yeah, you're le- learning to be a leader and learning to sort of think for himself, and like, right. and then at the same, at the moment when he starts to learn to think for himself and starts to sort of think like, oh, here's what I actually want to do in this situation, is the one moment when he's like, oh, I actually, this is the one time when I actually probably shouldn't listen to that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think that th- what that's serving to do is set him up as the leader of the group of toys in Woody's absence, right? Because what I thought this film was going to do and the reason why you sort of think, I don't know if we need this, is because the the end of the third film shows this infinite loop of the toys as a group get donated to a new child. Their bond as friends as toys is so strong that they can get through anything. Exactly. And and it's always going to be... New kid, new room, same routine, kid grows up, new kid, new room, kid yeah. grows up. But this time, Woody chooses to actually, in a, in, a, in a different way, be selfish and focus on his own journey rather than focusing on the journey of a child. I think he's sort of, yeah, coming to terms with the idea is like, look, if I'm sort of doing this, I'm done. I, I've, yeah, I've, I've, like... Uh, it's he said like this is the last this is the only thing I have left to do or whatever. He says like I don't I've actually this whole time I haven't really given a shit about Bonnie. I've just given a shit about myself. Mm. I loved Andy, but Andy's gone. If I'm gonna love myself, I may as well love myself. And he maybe was and always was, trying to do relive the Andy days with Bonnie. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think I sort of see it as him being like, I'm I just gonna love myself, baby. I'm just gonna stay with right. Bo and be with my girl in the carnival. And there's and this really nice undercurrent to be a lost toy. of like this romantic interest between him and Bo. But it's not the main reason why either of them ever act. No. Which was really nice. 
Yeah. Because it just felt like, you know... Well, it empowers them both as characters. It, it, it makes you feel like... A lot of those romance kind of movies, you're like, oh, shut up. But you can still think, like... Don't just do it for the girl. Yeah, like, exactly. Do what you wanted. And yeah. So just the idea that like Woody. So at the end of the movie, and fuck man, anytime you hear Randy Newman's, you got a friend in me. Grown men are reduced to tears. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. And there's this really strong moment when like Woody has been striving for the last act of the whole movie to get back to the RV to be reunited with his friend, so he can back to Bonnie. And right at the last minute, Buzz and the whole gang are standing in there on the roof of the RV. And they're about to get ready to go back home. Woody just sort of says, "Like, oh, I gotta stay, man." Yeah, it's it's almost like he makes the choice on in that moment, right then and there. Like yeah. it, it's leading up to it, but it really feels like he doesn't he doesn't really know either. And then it just sort of almost almost like at the start of that scene, he was gonna do that other thing. Yeah, he was gonna go with them and stay as a group, and then in that moment changes his mind. It's not like he was planning this the whole time. Yeah. You know, it, it really does feel like he he and changes in that moment. And just the idea that his 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 bond with his friends is so strong. It's it's not like he's been like I was just thinking about the lady the whole time. It's like it's Woody's still Woody. Woody yeah. still cares about his friends and so it's still like a legitimate dilemma and he's shown that throughout the whole film. Just right. what you were saying about like him not just doing everything for the sake of the romance. Like, yeah. Woody's still Woody, and so it makes it an interesting, heartbreaking decision when you see him at the end actually actually have to choose between his friends and Bo and choose Bo, and it's a gut-wrenching decision. And he sort of hands decision. over the sheriff badge to Jesse. And he, he, oh, he hugs Buzz, Buzz goodbye. How to, yeah. Everyone's and crying. I got to say, that felt like... Like I said, Toy Story Three, the ending of it felt like it was it was closing a circle where yeah. this was always gonna be how it is. We weren't sure, but now it's pretty clear that's that's what's gonna happen to these guys forever. And that's reassuring. Yeah. There's always gonna be kids, there's always gonna be toys, that's reassuring. This was like that's not true. Like closure. Yeah, it was closure, but it was opening the circle and sort of making it linear. It's like, no, yeah. people's lives aren't like that. You're not infinite. You don't always repeat the same thing. You have to change and grow, and that's permanent and one-directional. Yeah. You always will have to keep moving on, and if you don't, it starts to cause problems and be friction. Yeah. And Woody, yeah, kind of comes to terms with that. And so, like, this feels far more permanent than the ending to Toy Story 3. Absolutely. Where these characters... That's what I mean. I I was talking to someone today, and I sort of said, uh, friend of the show, Zach, previous guest, Zach. Yep. And I was talking to him, and I said, the way that this movie ends feels like they can't do Toy Story 5. And if they did, it would have to be completely different. Because you couldn't just... I feel like if you did this with just Buzz and Jesse and all of the other toys again, it would be so cheap. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's what we thought about three, about four. And then yeah, four so... I, know, I mean, maybe knows? this is a conversation for another podcast because I really said... <laughs> yeah, we're way over time, sorry. Um, but... No, I think this has been great. It probably hasn't been the funniest episode of Beef Station ever. I think but I've gotten a lot good. out of this. And I've I think I've been it. in a good week. Maybe I have been in a good headspace to be watching these movies and get a lot out of them. Because I've gotten a lot out of yeah, Toy Story and Perks of Being a Wallflower. At the cost of your personal well-being. Oh, fuck, yeah. It's been, <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to my uni degree. I've been really rinsed this week, but <laughs> I've gotten a lot out of the movies, so that's good. Yeah. Um, 
no, I think that it'd be interesting to talk about what Toy Story 5 could be about and what mm. the next logical progression might be. But I think considering Woody really is kind of the main character of these films, and he's or been at least given the, his closure. the dynamic between the main group of toys, yeah. I think that I would want to see... I would want to see more from Woody's storyline than I would from Buzz and the rest of the leftovers. But again, like I, I felt like Woody and Bo Peep are just sort of like, just let them be. Just let them go and do... Just let them go and live Maybe in the, the world. Line, yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe like, the storyline would be Buzz. Woody had his closure, and we're like, oh, yeah. Woody's thing was Bo, and now he's happy, and he's got over his arrogant bullshit. Maybe the next story will be Buzz and Buzz learning to trust his own instincts. I don't know what you can do with Buzz's and, and Jesse's character and not in a way that I think that there's nothing you can do. It's just, it feels very hard to come up with or like explore, like what do they do next? This really did feel like the only, it felt like a complete inversion of what Toy Story 3 meant. Yeah. As I said, with that that infiniteness and this undoing that and kind of like almost just like turning the head around and making it look at its own mortality and be like, yes, you're a toy, but you have a life, and that life only goes in one direction, which is extremely human. So yeah. we're sort of saying, you aren't a toy, you're actually a human being. This is what that means. And you have to come to terms with that. Right, and yeah. so I don't really know what they can do to back, to, to keep progressing that forward. No, I, I just don't, don't want them to back away from that, because I feel like that if the next movie backs away from that theme at all, it's going to be really weak. Yeah. So I, I, I want this to be the last... Toy Story. I feel like we've lucked out that it's good, and if there's a fifth Toy Story, it's gonna be really pushed. Beef Station's gonna burn Hollywood to the ground. Boy, <laughs> I think yeah, that's about. I just don't want to Cars Three, man. Oh yeah, no, yeah, me neither. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I got I'm bad done. news for you, boy. Cars Three's real. <laughs> yeah, it already is. <laughs> no. <laughs> um. I yeah, think that's about I, all the time we have left for on this week's oh episode yeah, of Beef Station. Oh, yeah, this has been a long one, but I, I, uh, but I think worth it. Yeah, I feel like if you've skipped through to this point, I'm sorry, but we're, we're done now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, if you want to email us, our email address is beefstationpod at gmail.com. There's a couple of movies coming out in the cinemas that we're interested in, but when we don't... yeah, yesterday we're going to do next? We're probably going to do yesterday next, yeah. yeah. Um, we're absolutely doing yesterday next. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. something tangentially related to the Beatles, I'll... Break your legs sure. and drag you there. I mean, um, are we doing it this week or later? But no, yes. we'll do it next week. I think, I think um, it's next week. My point is, if we don't have movies from the cinemas coming out that we want to see, uh, we'll gladly dust a DVD off the shelf and do whatever you suggest. Mm. We've done that in the past. Maybe not for a little while, but I think we've been keeping ourselves busy for the I'm going to try and watch a few uh, low-budget sci-fi movies. There's, there's one called Prospect and one called High Life Great. that okay. I'm interested in. So I think those were suggested by Zach, if you have any others. And that, yeah. f- that can be our suggestion of the week, then. If you have any other uh, low-budget sci-fi films to suggest to mm. us, little indie, Good ones. weird and little sci-fi films Moon. that we haven't heard of, um, yeah. hit us up with that. Our Facebook page, which we're terrible at updating, but it's nice to get <laughs> yes. likes on anyway, Gotta is facebook.com slash beefstationpod. Thank you so much for joining us for another week. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed this long boy, strong boy Sad boy might seduce your dad boy. (laughs) (laughs) Sad boy, Mad City. I'm Oscar. I am Andrew. See you later. You've got a friend in me. You've got a friend in me. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed. Just remember what you're